Welcome back to Drink Full and Descend, a fanatical analysis of Twin Peaks. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing good. Nice to see you, Cameron. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Excited to talk about part 16. So episode 16 of Twin Peaks The Return was a great episode. This is the, first of all, this is the happened. last episode uh, before we get the finale. Yeah. And I mean, of course, there's still questions, but I just was watching this. We're going to end it. I thought, like, everything happened yeah. in this episode. So yeah. much. So let's just say right uh, at the top right here so we can say it out loud, Cooper is back. 100%. Special Agent Dale Cooper has returned mm-hmm. to the same plane of existence that we share. Mm-hmm. Well, Finally, as uh, Philip Jerome yeah, says. Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> You're awake. Finally. Speaking for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Great episode. So, first of all, it starts off bleak. Uh, we, mm-hmm. First thing we see is a dark road, and we get the idea we're about to see Mr. C, and we do, and we've picking up with him and Richard driving. Yeah, and the, the big thing that caught my attention here was the fact that they do not talk at all. Yeah. Right, just because the last time we saw them, Mr. C says, we'll talk on the way. Yeah. And <laughs> we pick up with them, no talking. Yeah. I mean, maybe they talked before this, but I Yeah, I kind of felt humorous. like this was the post-talk yeah, section prob- prob- where Richard was kind of mm-hmm. looking out the window like, Jesus, what have I gotten myself involved with? Yeah, I think that's more or less how it plays yeah. because when they finally pull over, Richard says something like, so we're here then or something. Yeah, right? but he's so. tamed. You can tell Mr. Yeah. C is tamed. Richard is nothing compared to the evil inside of you know Mr. Mm-hmm. C. Mm-hmm. So um, they pull up to this strange dirt trisection that kind of was reminiscent of a vortex itself. Yeah. Um, they're following this device that Mr. C has. Of course, he's got this magic technology. Uh, it's mm-hmm. brought him to these coordinates. Yeah, but that I don't know programmed. if this was magic so much as it was just a GPS tracker. Yeah. He's got coordinates. You plug it into the thing, and it tells you where to go. Okay, but down to the very you know inch on the rock that he leads him to. Uh, all right, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> well, but he pulls up to this intersection, right, yeah. and he's got these giant automatic lights on his giant truck, right? Right. It's like mm-hmm. it's the thing that burns more oil than anything else possibly could. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and he pulls up, and there's basically like a tank, and he shines the lights up on this rock, which is reminiscent of like some kind of monolithic, um, I don't know, like a druid sacrifice site or something I thought right away when I first saw it. Yeah, right. And then he tells Richard that three people have given him coordinates, and two of them match. Yeah. Uh, and I have a question here, but maybe we'll come back to it later. Yeah, he says, I'm looking for a place. Do you understand that? Yeah. Uh, what what you just mentioned about the three coordinates. And he asked Richard what Richard would do. And he says, uh, you know, I check out the two that match. And then what does he say? You're pointing with something out here that uh, you're, oh, he a, says very you're a very young bright man. young man. And, and he is indeed, as we will see. Yeah. Presently. And in a bit. Yeah. He will be <laughs> literally very bright. Um, so uh, and he says, we're very close to where the two match are. It's right up there. And mm-hmm. Richard basically says, we're going up there. And he says, yeah, we're going we're up there going right, right now. now. And I love how they're like playing, describing the events that are happening right now. What's about to happen? Well, Impending doom, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, and the weirdness of the question of, do you understand the place? Yeah. It's like, what? What? I thought in that moment he was harking back to something he had described on the way or Maybe, something. Maybe, but he's like, I'm looking for a place. Do you understand the place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's... Giving more weight, right? I'm looking for a place. Okay, lots of places. Yeah. Do you understand the place? Like, this is the place, Yeah. right? This is the place he's uh, been looking for. And, uh, yeah, so do we understand that? Eh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it's night, you know, it's dark. We got the truck's lights that are kind of pointing up to this rock that he thinks is the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, We cut from this little conversation to see Jerry Horn running as fast as he can. Yes, our hero returns. Yes, our hero (laughs) returns. Last time we saw him, correct me if I'm wrong, is him running away from the tree line. Mm -hmm. So it it definitely seemed to me like this was maybe the same run. It's gotten dark now and he's just still been running. 
But I love how he runs up and goes, people. People. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like the kind of uh, terrain around there is similar to the terrain that we saw him run into getting away from the tree line that, in that last shot that we saw yeah. him in. I mean, so he also, the appearance of Jerry Horn here does signal to me that we are close to Twin Peaks. Yeah, he, we're at least in running distance yeah, of Twin Peaks exactly, right now. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or the region in the woods around Twin Peaks anyway. Right, exactly. Um, and so he says, people, he puts these binoculars up to <laughs> his eyes to check out around. what's going on. <laughs> Yeah. And they're backwards, right? Yeah. So this this is interesting to me a couple of ways. First of all, it shows us the vignette that he sees, right. and it makes everything smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, this could mean a number of things. I like the idea of just it's it's reversed, so it's like backwards in the sense of like, oh, we've heard backwards speech. This is backwards vision. Yeah. I think it calls out the symbolically the idea of like, hey, look at me, because normally you look the other way through the binoculars, and you'd be looking right into Jerry Horn's brain or something. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but also the idea that uh, what he's witnessing is so terrible and um, evil and that he can't really be that present to it that instead of zoom that like he's actually using the binoculars correctly to distance himself he doesn't want to see Mr. C maybe, too closely because he just something. says oh god yeah um and, and maybe like he realizes what's at the top of that hill or something too right like he's yeah I don't know what's going on with Jerry right mm-hmm. yeah you suggested you think and I tend to agree with this that he's both high and something else yeah, right? yeah <laughs> like, I think so like uh, he's probably high because we keep seeing him smoke pot but uh, something else seems to have been going on as yeah, well yeah I think his foot was know? stuck in the zone for a little yeah, bit before and exactly. he had some time to complicate uh, you know to contemplate that yeah Um. and in that he maybe he's drawn a perimeter around a couple different nodal zone points or something um, but mm-hmm. he gets to this one and seeing the two go up to him and saying people yeah. and then being kind of like oh god it's like it, there he knows something's about to happen you know I feel like he knows there's something at the top of that rock yeah but it's also interesting to me that given the way that he uses the binoculars um, he does not I presume identify Richard in this scene yeah his nephew yeah Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. That's something I wasn't even thinking about. Is that that or, is his nephew, right? Or yeah. Or his. What? Or his his great, great nephew, nephew. I guess. Or whatever. What, what, whatever once the term removed. Is, nephew right? once removed. Who yeah. knows? Um, uh, great nephew. But it's a right horn. Term. Yeah. Another yeah, horn. It's there. Another horn. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. But how hilarious! Also at the same time. So we're seeing this really does build up to this crazy moment, <laughs> and to see Jerry Horn using the binoculars backwards, yeah. and just the effect that they're showing us the mat, the way that we've seen that in the past. Maybe the vignette around the evidence during the Ike the Spike scene mm-hmm. of his yeah. palm getting ripped off. You know, um, there's a couple times I think that uh, production-wise, uh, they've been messing with what you can do with kind of video effects in this really fun way. Yeah, great. Um, but this is really marching Richard up to the top of <laughs> this rock to Mr. C basically is planning on placing Richard at the coordinates as right. a guinea pig, yeah. sort of, is the feeling I got, yeah, right? Yeah, he says, oh, you're 25 years my junior. You climb up there, you know, it'll beep when you're right on top of it and everything. Yeah, take this yeah. up there. It'll beep, and then it'll have a continuous tone, mm-hmm. and let me know what you find. And he's like, all right. So Richard so, goes up there, the beeps happen, and then it gets a continuous tone, and then he says, I'm there. And then, <laughs> and then bursts of electrocution. <laughs> you see the sparks. Um, this is really kind of a terrifying moment. I thought the effects on this were amazing. They were it felt great. really the, real. The flashing lightning kind of thing and mm-hmm. the smoke and the sound and, yeah. The way that the uh, electrocution kind of starts at his heart region and it carries out through there and kind of burns in through his body. We get this one back uh, reverse shot that's kind of like, backlit shadow shot where you see I kind of got the feeling that is this the shadow of this body that's getting electrocuted you know playing out over the valley floor or is this like the the ghostly version of Richard being created even 
So there was this this yeah. weird shadowy mm-hmm. shot that I thought something is this just him getting electrocuted to death on this plane, or is this yeah. one of those weird electrical transference to another realm kind of moments? I did wonder about that. He also kind of slowly explodes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's reminiscent of any number of things. I think you mentioned Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, well, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We yeah. see the scene where yeah. you know you're looking into uh, the Ark itself. The Ark of the Covenant, yeah, which is an Old Testament reference, which we can bring this up here. I saw yeah. this whole scene playing out as kind of Isaac and Abraham esque. Mm-hmm. Insofar as we do get right here confirmation from Mister C that Richard was in fact his son. Yeah, right? he says, "Oh, yeah." So Richard Richard gets exploded <laughs> with electricity, and he yeah. and Mister C kind of says, "Oh." <laughs> Goodbye, Rats. my son. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. that's the part where I'm thinking, uh, is this his guinea pig test to see what's going to happen if he were himself to go into those coordinates? Mm-hmm. And if that is means spells destruction for the person stepping there, does that mean that the coordinates that he was given leading him here were set as a trap? I think so. And I mean, talking about Abraham and Isaac, it, it strikes me right now that this is almost maybe a reverse version of the story. Yeah. Because... You know, the story in um, the Bible is supposed to be about God testing Abraham's faith by his willingness to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, what do we get here? It's Mr. C sacrificing his son to check out whether these are the right coordinates. Right. Right. It's like it's totally backwards. Like he doesn't even care about his son. Mm-hmm. Right. His reaction is just oh, mm-hmm. goodbye, son. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And it, to complete the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark reference, when they're looking into the Ark, a big biblical symbol, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that moment, Dr. Jones basically says, you know, oh, another Jones, by the way, mm-hmm. um, says, uh, you know, not to look into it. And then he survives. They survive because they're not looking into it. Everybody else that's staring into it doesn't respect or appreciate the power of God, basically, mm-hmm. and is fried to death in a very similar way to what Richard Horn is fried to death by electricity. And it is fly- yeah. electricity flying around in a, in a kind of metaphysical moment that it also culminates in a biblical reference, you know. Right. And But with this scene with Richard, God does not seem to be involved. If there's anything God-like involved, it's what kills him. Yeah, right. Right? And, and I am wondering if, you know, I do think that was probably a trap set for Mr. C, thinking about where those coordinates came from, and I have some ideas about that. Yeah. But it also makes me wonder if maybe Richard— got transported to the lodge or something right like he, he might um, show up in the finale i think it's possible yeah. but I mean, let's talk about these coordinates for a moment here mm-hmm. right he says he has three sets or got them from three people and two of them match mm-hmm. and uh it's been making my head spin a little bit to try to sort this out it's um, true so ray um, gave him a set ray gave him a set on a piece of paper that previously ray stated that he had memorized and yeah. had gotten from the secretary of Bill Hastings, who had gotten them from the zone that Bill Hastings found directly from Briggs in that zone. So Right? right. But we never <laughs> saw her, Betty. But we uh, never saw Betty. And there is a whole game of telephone between how many people, you know, it wasn't from the source. Right. So, And um, Ray has memorized it. And then at one point has told Mr. C, you know, I think it's worth something. Right. And then last week, um, Philip Jeffries wrote down... In reference to Judy, some coordinates. We saw the beginning of them. Yeah. This is a tea kettle motel mm-hmm. scene of Philip Jeffries and, writing them in steam. And people have noticed that at least those five digits are the same as the coordinates we saw in Ruth Davenport's arm. Correct. But, but then even about, in that, yeah. Yeah. 
I was going to say, even in that moment that where Albert is showing the photograph of Ruth Davenport's arm with those numbers, he states that the last couple numbers are blurred out. Right. We're talking right. about the first five numbers. Yeah. Right. So, okay, well, then that's the third set. That's the only third set I can think of is what they found, mm-hmm. where the FBI and Diane saw them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, but particularly because Diane's texts him those coordinates later in this episode. Yeah, we don't see the it's third just, time Mr. C receives them. Right. So at this point at the beginning, what are the um, what is the third set? If one's Ray, one's Jeffries. Yeah. What is the third? We might be thinking it's from Diane, mm-hmm. but then there's some issues about the timing of that that we'll talk about more in a little bit. Yeah. When we get to that scene, we're going to discuss and, when Diane texts these numbers to him again. But that could be the second time Diane is sending numbers, and that we might be. not have seen the third mm-hmm. example of Mister C getting the coordinates. Right. So is there some other source we haven't seen? And regardless of all of that, what are the two that match? It would make sense to me if the two that matched were Ray and Jeffries, because okay. both of them seem to have an interest in getting Mr. C back into the lodge. I think if Ray actually did talk to Jeffries and was telling the truth about right. that and that was Jeffries, right. that would fit. So, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's another one. Yeah, of there's weird a couple things. things going on with that. Yeah, and um. But amid all of us thinking about all this in this scene, um, Jerry, we realize that Jerry witnesses this scene. Right. And then he, he has a kind of a freak out moment. He's blaming the messenger where yeah, he's smashing the binoculars. binoculars. Saying they're bad. And there's something to be said here about uh, vision, having a vision. Um, also, the tunnel vision of it, the way that the reverse binoculars did also remind me of the vortex, hmm. where there's like a long tunnel at the end of which is an image to be seen, you know. Um, but he's uh, basically... Uh, I feel like he's suffering or he's regretful and what he's witnessed he knows is uh, like a harbinger of evil things coming well, or something. Even though he's at some distance and can't see much, he definitely sees something like a person exploding. Yeah. So, he definitely yeah. sees it. Yeah. yeah. And so Mr. C then walks back to the truck and he texts the happy face emoji yeah. with they, the they... capital letters, the word all. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that uh, the time on his phone here reads 2.05 a.m. Yeah. But maybe more importantly... Maybe. I, I Honestly, I'll just say now I'm not quite sure what to do with any of this shit. But yeah. it says not delivered. Right. Okay. So maybe he's out in the middle of the, you know, these coordinates are out somewhere. There's no cell signal. He tries to send a text. It's an attempted text that does not go through. And right. then the scene ends. We cut from there to Dougie's home in Las Vegas. Yeah, and Hutch and Chantel are outside. Of course. Out. And they have yeah. snacks, of yeah. course. Um, they're staking out Dougie's place. Um, there's a little bit of banter here where Hutch says, you hear birds birds. this morning? (laughs) Yeah, Chantel's response is, sure, shit did, and it's kind of negative way. Oh, yeah, she's like, fucking birds woke me up, god damn it. And we've seen birds associated with and around Dougie's house many times, and you kind of get the idea that maybe they're a protective symbol or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, sure. We've heard them when we've seen Dougie at home, um, and we've seen shadows of them flying over his roof. And but when Hutch and Chantel are there, they can't stand them. But they can't stand much, really. So yeah, they're they're <laughs> taking the place out, and then the FBI rolls up. Yeah, basically. the Las Vegas FBI yeah. pulls up. Wilson this is great. And Headley. The way they pull um, up and they're so in sync, and they all get out of the car exact same time, and mm-hmm. they're just like rehearsed. You know, in sync is really a great moment. Well, it's one of the things I loved about this episode is how these storylines really started to come together. Yeah, centering on Dougie's house. Yeah, right. And so they come up, they knock, they ring the bell. Wilson, like, looks in the window and says, looks like no one's home. Oh, <laughs> is the response? Yeah. <laughs> I'd figure you... that out, Sherlock. Yeah. 
And he tells them, you know, go get in the car and start to stake out the house, and we're going to go check out Lucky 7 Insurance Company. They're looking for Dougie, right? and they have some traces on him. And so they kind of pull away, and then, uh, you know, Chantel says, good riddance yeah. or something like that. Good riddance. And they both, oh. they all pull off, and so we're left alone with the assassins watching Dougie's house. Um, but Dougie's not home, so we cut yeah. to where Dougie is. Which is in the hospital because he stuck the damn fork in the electrical outlet Yeah, last so he's episode. been electrocuted. He's in a coma of his own right now, mm-hmm. and he's in a breathing apparatus. He's laying in the bed. There's this really nice shot that pans along his wrist tag, which yeah. says Douglas Jones, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is an established identity with his family there that cares about him. He's yeah. Dougie. Janie E. and Sonny Jim are there, and then Bushnell comes in and says, you know, he got confirmation of what they'd been telling him that— Physically, he's in good shape, but he's in a coma, you know. And uh, Sammy yeah. Jim says, "Is electricity have something to do with comas? Yeah, and Bushnell says, in this case, it did. <laughs> yeah, because J.D. says no first. But this is hilarious. Good. I'm sure everybody listening was laughing along with us because the, it's so obvious they're playing this out in this really oh, crazy, yeah. cheeky, soap opera kind of way. Oh, yeah, particularly when Janie E. says, but sometimes people can be in a coma yeah. for years yeah. and years. Dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, you're hearing that kind of music. Oh, and is Audrey in a coma? Yeah, everyone's been talking about that for weeks. Yeah, so and so explicitly just... kind of setting up the what might happen later with the kind of base very simple explanation of like, oh yeah, you can have a character in a coma for years, bringing it up, bringing yeah. it up as But also, an idea. I mean, like Lynch and Frost wrote this all at once. They filmed it all, you know, yeah. like so, but they knew that we were going to be talking about this, yeah. right? Like they True. knew everyone from episode 12 on was going to be like, is Audrey still in a coma? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and exactly. And totally winking at it here. Yeah. It's hilarious. So yeah, so right after this little discussion, guess who shows up? The Mitchum brothers. They care. They showed up. As yeah. They said they they came over as soon as they heard. As soon as they heard, they've got a nice big ugly bouquet. Yeah, a huge <laughs> bouquet of flowers, which is finest flowers you can get in a casino, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, but um, Janie, that Bushnell introduces them to Janie actually, so oh, they meet right. Janie, and uh, she thanks them and says, "Hey, Sunny Jim, they bought you your gym set, and you know, every kid should have a gym every set. Every kid yeah. should have a gym." And uh, uh, they explain that they've great. seen this before, which you're kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. so you've seen somebody electrocuted before or just a family member worried of a grave injury? Right. I like when Bradley says something like, uh, all things considered, yeah, he looks he's, pretty good. He looks pretty good. <laughs> but they say basically you know, during a time like this, you don't want to be um, eating and you don't want to worry about it. You don't want to eat hospital food. So we brought you some finger sandwiches. Right. So first of all. The hospital food joke. It's here. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Finally. If people Funny. don't recall, there was this whole running thing, and I think the season two premiere, about how bad the food was in the hospital. Right. Made, made a joke about it like four or five times. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so here we're getting a wink at that, I think, too. Candy, Mandy, and Sandy come in. They've got some finger sandwiches. Yeah. Which is fun. That's great. And how, you know, Candy is like introducing them and presenting them the same way she mm-hmm. did with the gifts. That's one of her main roles. For, with scene. everything. It's just um, with style. And she has some yeah. like style and joy with it, too. Um, but so, okay, so Janie E. and Sunny Jim do eat a sandwich. Uh, Rodney jumps up in here somewhere and says, okay, give us your keys because yeah. we're going to go stock your house up. Right, yeah. So it's more than just bringing a platter of sandwiches. They're about no. to like totally We're taking up. care of you. Yeah. Dougie is our number one man, yeah. you know. Um, so, and she gives them a key, and she's real thankful to hand over the key. Yeah, Bradley um, says it was like what uh, electricity, which <laughs> that is great. too, which is great. Like yeah. playing the role of the audience, kind of being like, so uh, electricity. Yeah, is, I feel uh, like this line oh, delivered okay. by Jim Belushi yeah. could just <laughs> explain all of Twin Peaks. Like, what's Twin Peaks about? You know, and play that clip of Belushi. <laughs> what? It's uh, electricity. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. 
fits. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking immediately from this moment, we've seen Chantel and Hutch outside the Joneses' house. The FBI showing up at the Joneses' house. Now we know the Mitchums are headed. The Mitchums are headed there. It's like, oh, everything's coming to a standoff. And I just picture high noon out on Lancelot Court. Yeah. Like builds up to that. Yeah. Thinking about maybe all three of these parties um, having to go at each other. But we'll get there. Yeah. So we cut from there back to the Mayfair Hotel where um, FBI agent Cole's field setup is. This hotel they've always been meeting at. Yeah. And you might almost have missed this scene because the whole scene more or less is Gordon Cole looking at slash listening to equipment. Gear. Yeah. He's. Yeah. yeah, It's a very quick scene. It's beeping. It's buzzing. Uh, At some point right before the scene ends, you hear that there's a steady beeping that changes to a continuous tone. Which right. is, of course, you know, something else we've just seen with Mr. C's device leading Richard up the hill. Which is the GPS thing, right? And then you're pointing something out here because then we cut back to... Cut back uh, to Dougie's Dougie heart monitor. His heart monitor. And that's beeping, beeping as well. And, and you so, were pointing out that if that had gone to a steady tone, that would indicate... That would indicate Dougie's heart stopping. Yeah, right. that classic trope of... Yeah, and that's totally a soap opera trope. Yeah. And like, oh my God, what did... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I thought it was really cool when you pointed that out to me, like that repetition and that... Uh, but we don't get that, yeah. of course. I, and I felt they right. were leading us right there. And also, this is very, very meta and probably barely worth mentioning, but it's also um, of a set of three, two are the same, and the third one is different in three yeah. sets of beeping, which is similar also to... The coordinates that yeah. Mr. C mentioned. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, but this beeping, and he led us right into that heart monitor thing, and by that time I was thinking, oh my gosh, is that gonna? Is he going to flatline? Am I going to hear that a yeah. third time? Yeah, is he going to die? Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't. It's it's kind of a of funny course. scene where the family's sitting around, and Sonny Jim has to pee. Yeah, and we were talking <laughs> about, again, the recurring theme of urination in Twin Peaks, yes, right? Yes, you pointed like, out from the original Someone should like, write an essay about the significance of having to <laughs> urinate in Twin Peaks. Yeah, or in uh, television, because well, it's one of those things, yeah, like but, makeup in bed or whatever, like... Is this mm. how real is this scenario? Well, yeah, precisely. Actors we, aren't we, using we, the restroom. We've hit on this before that in most shows you don't see this, but um, yeah, right before we sat down, I was mentioning to you also in the original run how when Cooper goes night fishing with Briggs, he's yeah. like, I feel the call of nature. There's yeah. nothing like urinating <laughs> in the open air, you yeah. know? Um, Comparing it to being a bonding with nature experience, by yeah. the way, where you're literally, mm-hmm. you know, it, the cycle of water through your body connecting to the cycle of the natural world. Mm-hmm. So there's these recurring moments. We saw it with Dougie in the early episodes of The Return. Dougie and needing to else, and right? figuring there's out a, how to urinate. Yeah, there's yeah. a real recurring theme about uh, <laughs> taking a piss. Yeah. yeah. But, and it makes sense in this scene, too. I love the fact that it's this is said right after Sonny Jim finishes a big old big gulp yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And he slurps it away. He's like, oh, I just finished a huge soda. Guess what? I need to pee. And it's a good device to get them out of the room. And then Bushnell gets the call from Phil Bisbee. Yeah. Hey, this is Phil. You know, the FBI is looking for Dougie. Looking for Dougie? What do he do now? He's in a coma. Yeah. And he looks concerned. And he's mm-hmm. he's still even in a coma. You're like, what, Dougie? Your influence on people is amazing. Mm-hmm. So did you tell him <laughs> that uh, he's here? And Phil says yes. And so how long ago? Like 10 minutes. So... The FBI is on their way to the hospital yeah. is what we're getting from all of this. Building yeah. up to that. And then, you know, kind of the S- we might see the FBI there at the hospital, possibly greeting Cooper or a Dougie in a coma. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we cut to Dougie's house. And in that moment, again, we hear birds flying around and cawing. Uh, there's, a, again, the reference of birds could be this mm-hmm. kind of protective element. 
Hutch and Chantel continue their stakeout. She's still eating her Cheetos or off-brand snacks or whatever, and the FBI is down the street now. Yeah, Wilson pulls up to his little stakeout spot, and we get the idea that this is just after what we witnessed before because he was commanded, mm-hmm. you know, go get in the car and come back and find a nice spot where you can stake him out. And then the Mitchums arrive with their limo and van. Yeah. They've got a whole van full of food. Yeah, I'm this guessing. is them showing up to stalk the house. <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah. Uh, right before this happens, Hutch is kind of like lackadaisically like staring at Dougie's house, and, and we get the idea it could be for hours. And he it's says, It's going to be a long day. Yeah, it's going to be a long day. And he goes into this little kind of story aside where he says, Do you remember Sammy, this guy who died, and maybe yeah. a, a, a co robber with them, one of their gang or something, something from like the that. past? And Hutch says that he owed him money. And Chantel says back to him, you know, do you feel bad about that? Yeah, yeah we get kind of this. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you know the way that they talk about stuff. There's some other whole fucked up story about how <laughs> this guy Sammy met his end. Yeah, probably. And you know, the money was probably yeah. significant. You mm-hmm. know, but he probably all he says is he passed away. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like this, eh, so you don't really get any kind of <laughs> yeah. like moral compass from these But what, two. we're thinking that Sammy got killed because he owed people money and Hutch owed him money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. We can, I just you picture can build a, your own backstory. Yeah, exactly. Right? A whole crime backstory to that. Uh, I love that kind of um, stuff. But the Mitchums pull up and are kind of, it's kind of like a confusing moment. They're waiting for Dougie to pull up and then suddenly a limo and a refrigeration van pull yeah. up. And Hutch says, want any of them Dougie? Yeah, and of course Chantel responds, say, do any of those look like our boss? No, stupid. There, there's no Dougie there. Which stuck out to me. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it should have been surprising, but just the fact that they know that the person they're trying to kill looks just like Mr. C. Right. And struck me as significant, but at yeah. the same time, well, maybe of course they did. Right. Right. Well, considering how much, how, much uh, how open Mr. C was with like Daria and Ray, for example, mm-hmm. and then going next door in the hotel room after killing Daria and then sleeping with Chantel. You know, I kind of fe- yeah. I kind of get the feeling there's still dozens of other people that are in tow with this guy, Mr. C. Yeah. Because of his powers. And we're only seeing kind of the key players. And he's had all these years to set up this whole syndicate sort of thing. And it doesn't really tell us how much they know about the kind of metaphysics or whatever we want to call it behind that. Yeah. Right. Maybe all they know is that they're supposed to kill someone who looks just like Mr. C. Yeah. I think maybe they would be able to have a higher perception of it if they weren't so distracted by junk food or something. Yeah. They don't really (laughs) care, man. They just want to eat their Wendy's and. But, you know, she wants to torture some people. Yeah. She wants torture and she wants to. That's why she's so French fries. It could be. But in this moment, she kind of snaps at Hutch and he says, you know, settle down. It's the last bag. It's the last bag. So they're they're running out of snacks, and that's she's totally gonna snap if she doesn't. Oh, and I loved how she responded on. when he asked her if she was on the rag. She's like, "So fuck if I am." Yes, and Hutch's <laughs> yeah. response to that is even better. Yeah. It was like, uh, "Okay, yeah, we're fine, <laughs> we're fine." Yeah, don't worry, honey. Yeah, and that's Hutch's general <laughs> kind of attitude. He's like, "Well, sure, okay, you know, like you want to go kill a warden." <laughs> <laughs> Kill Warden. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. So I, uh, I'm going to miss Hutch and Chantel. Yeah, I'm going to miss them. So, and um, I don't know that we really hit on it before, but I'm sure it's obvious to people familiar with the work the way in which this is a nod to someone like Quentin Tarantino, right? Yeah. Really, their whole arc has been very uh, Tarantino-esque. Yeah, just yeah. who they are as uh, characters in other Tarantino pieces and just how kind of bloody and violent and crime-ridden this whole arc of theirs is. And the dialogue, like, last week with, the uh, you know, it's a nation full of killers. And yeah. You could just plug that right into, like, yeah. Pulp Fiction. It's true. Right? I mean, yeah. So Chantel's kind of watching this whole um, event of stalking up Dougie's house by the Mitchums, and she says, you know, it looks like a circus parade. 
Uh, the FBI is there, and they say some. Wilson says, you know, stretch limo, girls in pink, no Douglas Jones. No Douglas Jones. And then this car pulls up, mm-hmm. says like Zawaski accounting on it. Yeah, right? pulls right and up to the front of the Hutch and Chantel's Random van. fucking guy yeah. gets out of his car. He's in the credits as Polish accountant. Yeah, and he says, you're in my driveway to them. And they sort of look for a second, too, even. They're yeah. like, are we? What the fuck? Like, uh, no, we're not. Not even close, asshole. Why don't you go fuck yourself, Chantel says. And he says, I will move car. Yeah. yeah. So him moving yeah. car, he does move his car. He rams their van. He rams them, and it's and kind of like this reverse tug-of-war thing with cars, and he's like screeching the tires. And there's smoke and all of this, and of course Chantel gets pissed off at that. And that fucker. Shoots at him, and yeah. Hutch is like, what are you doing? You know. And then the he guy- He shoots back at her because well, he's He goes around armed. behind the trunk first. Yeah. So she shoots at him, he's in the driver's seat, then he goes around behind the trunk. I, I take it he got that gun from his trunk, okay. I thought. Yeah. I think. And so he shoots back, and then Hutch is like, oh, this is all going to shit. You know, like he shoots his shotgun yeah, out. Yeah, he hits Chantel, by the way, and she's like, oh, oh he yeah. winged me. Yeah, he winged me. And, and then, then it, it amps up even more with a shotgun. Huge fucking gunfight, you know. <laughs> and it's like after he's won- uh, winged Chantel, he's like, let's get out of here. And so she tries to move, but then she runs into his car, knocks the accountant over. Well, and I was wondering, was that an intentional move? She knows he's hiding behind there. Is she smart enough in this kind of, like, combat that she's, like, bashing into his car to bash into him? Maybe, regardless, they finally pull out of there, and then as her driving the way the accountant just i mean he's got this like oozy he's got like a 70 it's... round clip fully automatic <laughs> yeah. handgun yeah pistol. exactly like and he and it obviously the the rounds he's using can cut right through uh, a van right because he shoots right into the van <laughs> know, like a right? hundred bullets like i know it's not technically an uzi and i don't I'm not a gun enthusiast so yeah um but he just shoots and the FBI is just watching it's great how when the first bullet goes off the FBI kind of they both in sync kind of duck their heads a little to the side like okay the shit's going down now And so first he hits Chantel and she falls on the horn and you start hearing the horn go off yeah and the car then is just rolling out of control but then I loved as I was mentioning to you how I think they cut to Tim Roth dying by all these bullets like three like times. Like three or four times. And he's just, just like, bloody. We're just going to watch yeah. him get killed some more. Yeah. And some more. He's, wait, he's not dead yet. Let's go back. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the whole time the van is rolling and the van we see is on fire. Yeah. Right. And there's also a total shout out to Bonnie and Clyde with the couple that's yeah. criminals and they're mm-hmm. shot up in their car. And another great film, The mm-hmm. Warren Beatty. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as much as uh, all of this did remind me of or felt like an allusion to Tarantino. I felt the way it went down was very David Lynch. Yeah. Because, oh, is it a showdown between the FBI and Chantel and Hutch and the Mitchums? Yeah. Nope, it's some random Polish accountant. Yeah. No, the Mitchums actually witnessing it. Like, what the fuck kind of neighborhood is this, Bradley says. People are under a lot of stress, Bradley. (laughs) He's like, oh, okay, it's his stress. (laughs) I love how he accepts that, too. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. These, and there's also this moment I'm feeling like, yep, armed Americans, and this is, if you park in front of my driveway, this is the kind of shit that can, it can explode into. Mm-hmm. And the dangers of anger and that kind of, like, we've seen that as a recurring theme throughout the show, well, too. Well, yeah, and how we actually, in the real world, do get these kinds of attempts at explanation along these lines. Like yeah, like someone, road rage is really kind yeah, of what we witnessed like, horrific here. things happen and so on and so forth, and that, that stress or anxiety that people are feeling. Yeah, And I also kind of love um, in this scene how uh, there's kind of this, the blessing and the luck of Dougie also carries over to the Mitchums because they there's these top-notch uh, assassins waiting outside the house. Guess what? Yeah. We didn't really have to even do anything. They just yeah. met their own ends Basically, because yeah, of a random right? interaction. Like, um, the way that all of this just works itself out. Yeah. You know, we'd been maybe worrying that Hutch and Chantel were going to show up and, like, torture Janie and Sonny Jim. <laughs> yeah, but right. Nope, it's just everything just 
fine. Yeah. Just worked out. So the yeah. FBI kind of watches this all go down until finally they see the van pass them, and then there's the one Polish accountant guy, and they, they call themselves, they identify themselves, yeah. and they arrest this guy. They intervene once it's all over, basically, to arrest the yeah. Polish accountant. And there's this great mm. shot where it's like a maybe um, a jib shot that's going up above everybody, but mm. the FBI is calling for backup to Lancelot Court, and yeah. it's announced, hey, this is Lancelot Court, this is the King Arthur story kind of thing, but it's also that high noon shootout moment that really was totally... Um, hinted at earlier in the episode. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a great, like, one of those, like, ah, the gangland, tough crime, yeah. wild west. But, yeah, it's right in the middle of the pleasant-looking suburbs, which also harkens back to, like, Blue Velvet or something, where we get the nice suburbs mm-hmm. and then, like, all the crazy darkness that actually can go down underneath and yeah. between the well, lines. the level of know? commentary involved, too. First of all, with the FBI just kind of watching as this unfolds and intervening yeah. at the end. Yeah. And then also with the Mitchums, who are kind of supposed to be like crime bosses or something. And the way they're just kind of watching and then they decide, let's just get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, let's put down right? our guns like, too. Do they see yeah. us? Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, let's, let's just get out of here, get the girls. Yeah. We're, we're stress out. level uh, is up there. People are under a lot of stress, Bradley. That's great. One of my favorite lines of the show. So here's one of the best scenes ever. We cut back to the hospital. We see Dougie on the ventilator. We hear a mm. tone in the room and we get the idea, does Bushnell hear that too? Which seemed to me like it was the same tone, or at least the same sort of tone as we heard in the Great Northern. I thought so right? too. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about that tone now. Which last left, I thought James was as a guard working for the Great Northern, investigating in the boiler room basement of the Northern. Right. It seemed like the tone was coming behind that door, and mm-hmm. we never saw what was behind that. But door. Bushnell kind of follows his ears, and it leads him outside, away mm-hmm. from the room. He leaves the room, and then that leaves uh, an empty room with uh, Cooper there. Yeah, and you say Cooper because and I say Cooper. this is a correct, right? Yes. Because basically Gerard sort of appears in the chair. Yep. Cooper wakes up. He sits up, like takes his IV out and yep. stuff like that. And we and see so. Mike say, Philip Gerard say, you are awake. 100%. And of course, and then Gerard, Mike says, finally. Finally. And he's yeah. speaking for the audience as well. For this everyone. is hilarious. Yeah, it was because uh, what is this, episode 16? So yeah. 16 times mm-hmm. fans have sat around saying, are we going to get Cooper back tonight? <laughs> yeah. 60, and the 16th yeah. time was the one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so funny for him to say finally. Um, but he also adds, he says, the other one, he didn't go back in. He's still out. Right. And he says, take this. And, and he, he gives him the jade him ring. The, the jade ring. And, um, you know, Cooper takes that and then asks him if he has the seed. Yeah. Right? He asks him twice. Yeah. And of course, at first, I didn't know what he was talking about, but mm-hmm. Gerard holds up that little, like, golden looking ball bearing thing. Yeah. So, this is the seed of Dougie, I guess. That that's the last time we saw that right. he got this from the kind of what we thought it was the Black Fire annihilation of Dougie, mm-hmm. or at least the corpus, the pre corpus of Dougie, or whatever representation that was. Yeah. The original Dougie. The OGD. <laughs> the OGD. Um, yeah. The Dougie Dougie. Yeah. Uh, and so, that was the what he turned into when we saw him go pop in the lodge. And then Cooper like pulls out a little bit of his hair and says, I need you to make another one. Yeah. Mike says, I understand. He takes the locket of hair. He puts it in his pocket and then he disappears. This So this is meaning a lot. So this oh, is yeah. not only, first of all, he's handing him a tangible object through realms yeah, okay. when he's not at a lodge point or a mm-hmm. vortex. Both ways, actually. Yeah. yeah. The ring going one way and the hair going the other way. Uh, another thing is this links the idea of, who, well, who created Dougie to begin with? If he's saying, mm-hmm. um, I need you to make another one, does that hint that Mike made the first one or not? And yes, another true. thing that I noticed is, uh, and for the first time, is when he handed him the ring, you hear this really high-pitched frequency that kind of sounds like, 
oh, I don't know, a bell ringing, um, a yeah. tuning fork, a Tibetan singing bowl. Right, which you're contrasting with the more low notes we get with the woodsman. Yeah, exactly. Like so there's that, this range you know? of frequency thing, which is also something in the on the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so that's really a kind of with whether it's electricity or visual light or even, you know, pressure waves and music. A lot of what we're really analyzing here is the electromagnetic spectrum. But, yeah, it caught me that the ring is ringing at a very high-pitched tone. And there are several of these tones throughout the show that before I was thinking, oh, this is tuning fork or what's that, that noise? Mm-hmm. And then I did think about a Tibetan singing bowl earlier. And then of that, of course, that um, is um, a bowl that you rub a, a handle of wood around and it will create a resonance that will sit and loop and tone and drone. Right. And that's totally, I feel like, the sound that we're hearing. Yeah. But it's also like a, a cultural reference to the Tibetan people again, mm-hmm. like we get with the Tulpa and like we get in the original series through Cooper's Methods and the Dalai mm-hmm. Lama. Yeah, indeed. So there's and, a lot in this scene that's like, whoa, what's going on with, what's the formula of the magic here? Right. So did the one-armed man, Philip Gerard slash Mike, uh, make Dougie? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Cooper is saying another one. Was Cooper involved with making Dougie? I think I, he's in, still interested in getting know. Bob back and, um, and becoming one with Bob. Maybe he was even the one on the phone saying, I will be with Bob again, pretending Gerard, to be Jeffries. Yeah, I've had that theory They're for a Philip while. They're both Philip Juz. I think that is a possibility. We talked about that before. The other thing that we were talking about here, which I want to be sure to hit on, is the fact that he says, I need you to make another one. Yeah, so now whenever I hear Cooper or Mr. C say need or want, I think back to not only Mr. C telling that to Ray, like, hey, you know, I I don't need anything. I want. I want, and that's a very important point to make. Mm -hmm. And then also you pointed out that there's the line from the original series. Yeah, this connection I want to draw, if you recall, when... Um, Audrey is in uh, Cooper's hotel room bed naked. Uh, he says to her, one of the things he says is, what I want and what I need are two different things, Audrey. Yeah. And the um, appurtenance I want to bring in here is talking about this word need, how Cooper is using it there and I think here, right, yeah. mm-hmm. is he's not really referring to something like a physical need for food or something like that. He's using it really in a more ethical way, mm-hmm. right? If you go back to the Audrey scene, he seems to be saying, well, you know, maybe I want you, yeah. but yeah. what I need is related to the fact that I'm an agent of the well, FBI. Well, what's the question? Doesn't Audrey say something along the lines of, don't you want me, Cooper, yeah. or something? Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And he said, well, what I want and what I need are two different things. But when he continues explicating the idea of need here i take it yeah by saying you know i'm an agent of the fbi and that means i have to uphold a certain code of honor and blah 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 blah. right yeah and i got the idea what he needs is to make sure that janie e and sunny jim have a dougie in their life yeah right we're talking about again this kind of ethical need yeah right that i need you to make another one i cannot let janie e and sunny jim lose the Dougie. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it's not going to be me because I've got, you know, I've got my own mission, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But he takes it. He says, he, I understand. He takes the hair, he puts it in his pocket, and we get the idea that he's on the mission. Uh, then he disappears right at the same time Janie and Sonny Jim walk in the room and see a fully awake Cooper for the first time. Yeah. And I love how he snaps into action. Uh, yeah. As before, it was like, Janie, I need you to find a doctor. Sonny Jim, you go with her. Yeah. yeah. Like, and Bushnell jumps in, Dougie's back. Man, that was really funny to see because we know how much Bushnell loves Dougie. Yeah. Like, Bushnell, give me some of those sandwiches. I'm starving. Yeah. And so <laughs> then he's getting to work right yeah. away. He knows what he needs. He knows what to do. And, and, and this is a signal that he's building. He's got to build his strength back up. Right. And he asked Bushnell also to get his clothes. He knows right where his clothes are. 
which is yeah he says behind yeah. you in the cabinet right there you know and it's interesting so that's kind of a little clue that points out that he was sentient the whole time if he knows that then he's been witnessing and processing information the whole time even in his coma because otherwise how would he know where they took his clothes and put it into the cabinet you know magic could be uh, <laughs> answered all with magic, uh, but he's uh, so Bushnell also tells him that Phil called and said the FBI is looking for him, and he says perfect. perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's what we want. We want the FBI to find me. Um, and so it's a couple funny moments here. Bushnell says, you know, you sure came through this pretty strong. He's kind of a little shocked that, first of all, when he's in there before he wakes up, even he's got yeah. the perfect hair. Yeah, you know, he's laying there. He's. I think that they intentionally did the set dressing with the breathing apparatus. Um, the ventilator is so it's not over and covering his face. Right. If you look at realistic versions of that, it would be totally hiding Kyle McLaughlin. But they were just like, no, have it all hanging off to the side so yeah. we can see his perfect, beautiful Cooper face. You know? Right. And the uh, the doctor comes in and is like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, verify that I'm perfectly fine and should uh, be able to go. And, you know, like basically she does. She's like, oh, yeah, you are fine. I'll go get the paperwork started. Yeah. He's like, verify that my vitals are all A-OK. Um, Janie kind of expresses, are you sure this is a good idea? Cooper says it's a good idea, and the doctor instantly says, uh, "You know, it looks like it's a pretty good idea." Um, yeah, incidentally, we should know this mo- is uh, an Easter egg mm-hmm. or what. But this is mm-hmm. the same actress who played uh, Louis Budway. Yeah, Belina the, Logan uh, is appearing again. She run. was in the original series, and we saw her uh, name on the cast list. And you might recall she was the uh, clerk at the Great Northern, who yep. was really excited that Empty Wentz was coming to Twin Peaks. Yeah, the food critic was going to show yeah. up at the Great Northern, and mm-hmm. uh, that was going to be her chance to show Ben Horn that she knows how to run a hotel or something, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this it's funny the link all back to the story, but not a literary link, not an, a link that works in the narrative, but like, oh, hey, here's the same actress we used in the original series. And that kind of subconsciously reminds you of all these things. Right. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I, I loved seeing her again. That was really great. But um, she's also a, a strong female figure, a doctor presiding in the hospital here. And you wonder if you're going to really connect it. You could say um that uh, that character used to work at the Great Northern, eventually moved on from that job there and got her, you know, medicine degree. Is that the same character, basically? Yeah, I and moved mean, I, to Nevada. You I know, suppose it could be. Right? Which would be another interesting uh, moment. But yeah. anyway, just a little aside. Um, but she looks at uh, Cooper and she says, well, yeah, no, you look good to go. I'll prep your release. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, um, you know, Janie, please bring the car around. I'll get dressed and meet you downstairs. Right. But maybe my favorite thing is when he asks Bushnell for his gun. Yes. Because he knows, like, right where it is. Where is it? It's like a thirty-two or something in yep. his left uh, Bushnell, shoulder. I'm going to need to borrow that thirty-two snub nose you carry under your left arm there. <laughs> yeah, He knows exactly, exactly where it's <laughs> Which been. Which we've never seen that. Yeah, exactly. Think, as the audience. We kind of figured before. I kind of, you know, when, you know, the guy, you know, yeah. tries to kill, somebody tried to kill my Dougie and he makes the fist. And you get the idea. He, this guy's a fighter. He's probably yeah. packing. No, Bushnell, I'm going to need that gun. He goes, sure thing, Dougie. Yeah. It's totally awesome. Yeah, sure yeah. thing. Just Whatever no questions need. asked. You need just anything else? Away. Yeah, everything okay? Can I help you with anything else? Yeah. So, so he thanks him, and, you know, um, in that moment, Sonny Jim's like, whoa, Dad's talking a lot. Gene says, yeah, he sure is. Um, I also noticed one thing in this little scene here that we've been watching for several episodes, Dougie repeating the lines that everybody else is saying. Oh, right, and you were pointing out how here people start repeating him. Yeah, it yeah. flips around. There's Which a couple examples yeah. right away off the bat here where other people are now repeating what Dougie is saying, what Cooper is saying. Yeah, the doctor does it, and then Janie does it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in asking if Bushnell can help, Cooper's answer is get me the Mitchum brothers. Yeah, and I just he's so on it, like immediately, you know, um, he's Cooper, right? Yeah, just even when he says 100%. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. You can hear in the inflection in the voice, this mm-hmm. is our Cooper back. 
and there's no doubt it's 100% our Cooper. Right. So mind, body, and spirit, he's present. Yeah. And guess what? He's ready to solve this case. Right, so good to mention him's <laughs> on the phone. And then this is great because, I mean, just with all of this in the background, I do. I love it all. I love what they did. Yeah. Because um, you get such humor and poignancy now in this scene because Bushnell calls him up and says, Doug, he wants to talk to you. And now he's talking to him like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like Brad, I need you to get the plane. I need to go to Spokane, Washington, you know, and so on and so forth. Just yeah. on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the guys just snap into action, like, "Oh, Dougie needs us. Let's go. Snap it up. We're we're gassing up the jet right now, girls. Yep. Let's get ready for a plane ride." In the midst of all this prep, the original Twin yeah, Peaks, Twin it's Peaks music falling, awesome starts because it's like, yeah, this is what you've been waiting for. You have Cooper back. Yep, we've got Twin Peaks back. Right? Yeah, like this is the return. They're gassing finally. up, headed to Washington. They're heading to Twin Peaks. Yeah, uh, Cooper is. Yeah returning cooper, cooper has, has returned. returned this is the return right exactly and cooper it's so has great they, they spent the whole season leading yeah. up to this moment we're now in the finale we're gonna see the return his return the return mm-hmm. and i i just love that that's really it's so great the the music as a cue right at that moment it really was just totally an exciting moment as well so right. the mitchum snap into action we get the twin peaks music um cooper turns to bushnell and he says i have a feeling gordon cole will call if he does read him this message Right, and then uh, Bushnell says, okay, and he says, what about the FBI? And Cooper says, I am the FBI. Right, and I thought, yeah, and the thumbs up was implicit. It was right? implicit. Yeah, Everyone we, Everybody was waiting that, right? for it, yeah. Because they, they framed it just like the shot from the original exactly. series, yeah. too. It's kind of a medium um, shot. You're expecting him to just real quick punch his thumb up into the air. Yeah. But he doesn't. Um, he turns. He's got, he's got work to do. Maybe the thumbs up is... is going to be right. but it's going to be reserved for that moment when i mean that yeah the that case shot is solved. i'm thinking of it was at the roadhouse uh after he's basically figured out that leland was the killer yeah right mm-hmm. so okay but here it felt like i was really expecting the thumbs up but again i kind of think it reads implicitly yeah, yeah. and i think maybe that's intentional they know we're all picturing it oh you yeah don't have absolutely to show it. it's like yeah. you got it in your mind already they didn't have to show it on the yeah. frame yeah. and so this is him saying goodbye to bushnell who's been such a key figure caring for dougie one of those characters Look at like Janie E also yeah. looking after Dougie, allowing us to get our Cooper back. We owe that to Bushnell and oh, to Janie yeah. E and to a couple other characters. And he says something like, you know, you're a good man, Bushnell Mullins. Yeah. Right? Uh, I won't forget your kindness and decency. He's really mm-hmm. getting, paying him the big respects. Yeah, all and, of this is very sweet. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and just giving him over his gun with no questions asked. He, <laughs> he trusts him and he's like, go kick ass, Dougie. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Cooper, yeah. you know. Um, so and then we we cut outside and we see Janie E's ready to roll in her new car that the Mitchums yeah, bought. Yeah, Cooper's I'll drive, and she's like, "But Dougie, but Janie E, it's okay." Yeah. And what's going on, Dougie? And then in there he says, "Of course, fasten your seatbelt." <laughs> yeah. So we know, you know, this is 100% Cooper. He's not only um, got morally superior to a lot of the characters in the show, of course, all the bad guys, but even down to the details, he's always going to do what's right all the way to the kind of good boy scout kind of like, you know, tie a correct right. knot and put on your seatbelt. But then you know? also that level of, um, he's also a badass. Yeah. Right. Cause it's fasten your seatbelts because gotta be safe, but it's also fasten your seatbelts. Cause I'm going to drive like a badass. Yeah. Right. They drive right? away from like, Las Vegas. They drive away. <laughs> Dad sure can't drive. Yeah. Right? But another funny thing is that right as they're driving away, the F- Las Vegas FBI pulls up to the hospital, barely missing him. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're on the trail, though, and we feel they're going to meet up. But guess what? It's not going to happen here in Vegas. Nope. I'm thinking maybe we'll see those characters again, but uh, it's going to be I don't in know. Twin Peaks. I don't think the Vegas FBI. I think yeah. they're done. Yeah. 
with yeah. Wilson and Headley. Like, they were on it, sort of, but you know, yeah. but they'll have some valid information I mean, to like, report from the shootout. Yeah, exactly. We might see them again talking to Cole, but I don't even know. I right. think as we were saying last night, like I half expect us to just cut next week to like Gordon Cole also arriving in Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah, on a plane right? or getting to Twin like, Peaks. We don't yeah. necessarily need to see those people decide that they're going to yeah. Twin Peaks. But they're driving away. Um, he says, Janie E., how do we get to Silver Mustang Casino? And she says, you're not going to gamble, are you? No, we're going to see the Mitchum brothers. Going to see the Mitchums. And then there's the line, like you said, Sonny Jim saying, Dad can drive. And really good. You know, he's, yeah, exactly. kind of, he's impressed with him now. He's talking. He's driving. He's, my dad's awesome. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, Janie E. looks in this moment super content and loving. Of course, we've been seeing this character build up more and more. You kind of see in, in her eyes as we go through the narrative that she mm-hmm. gets more in love with Dougie and starts mm-hmm. trusting him more. And he becomes the person she always wanted him to be, basically. Yeah, basically. But that doesn't sort of last, you know. It gets interrupted, actually, eventually. So they're uh, driving away from Las Vegas. hmm And we cut to our next scene, actually, which is Diane sitting at the bar again. We've seen her at this bar before. This right. is back so at the Hotel Mayfair. Sitting at the bar, drinking some vodka, the smoking Twin cigarette. Peaks music, the theme, is also, by the way, still going. Right. And is present until it's totally interrupted in a sound change moment at the text that she gets. Right. So we see her phone. Yeah. It's 1632 military time. We see the text. It's the happy face with the capital letters saying all. Yeah. Which... I got the impression this was like kill them all, basically. A command. Yeah. No. Um, maybe, um, as I was saying to you earlier, I, I, it could also mean something like tell them everything or maybe put both of those together as like do the rest of the plan like do uh, all of it do all of it no no more holding back like yeah. uh, something like that mm-hmm. um but her reaction is very she's shocked and she's yeah. like oh shit and there's almost no way to describe the facial expressions and such at play here yeah, exactly. laura Dorn kills it she's terrified awesome. and she's afraid um, but she's also like pulling some energy out of her to do the mission. Right. And how do we read um, all of this? You know, she says, I remember. And she says, oh, Coop. Mm-hmm. Um, but also is looking just stunned and gasping and, and, and everything. Yeah. Right? So and then she looks down into her purse. We don't see exactly what's there yet. She finishes her drink. Yeah. She says, oh, I remember. And oh, Coop, I remember. I'm wondering, is this the moment she's just getting this memory implanted or something what memory though exactly well what is she remembering (laughs) well and then at this moment she actually texts some other numbers some coordinates Mm four eight five five one four two zero one one seven one six three nine five six these are um and says i hope this works yeah and and what she means by that too is something i'm still wondering about a bit those would seem to be the coordinates that were from ruth davenport's arm and we mentioned this Uh, earlier this would be a third time that mr c is sent coordinates but this this is after he sends the happy face all text. Which was after Richard uh, got torched. Correct. So we don't know for sure if this is the third example. It's after all that, so we assume not, which would make me think perhaps Diane sent him coordinates before in a scene we didn't see. I don't know. We saw her, for the record, we saw her looking up the coordinates on her phone before, not yeah. sending them. Right, exactly. Um, I also want to say here, Mike, I am at this point fully willing to give up uh, my hesitance in believing that Mr. C and Diane were communicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's out the window. Yeah. It seems pretty clear. Uh, however, at the same time, now I have a new issue or same kind of issue in a different um, Yeah. 
uh, twist on it, if you like, with these time codes, mm-hmm. right? Um, because she was uh, okay. So when Mister C was sending this text message after Ris- uh, Richard died, yeah. or whatever, as we noted, it was two o five a.m. Okay, mm-hmm. but also he wasn't getting service. Apparently, it said not delivered. All right, yeah. so maybe he resent it later. Diane gets the first text message. As you say, her phone says it is um, 16.32, p.m. Mm-hmm. Right. But the time code on the text message itself says 16.31. Okay, so far so good. Mm-hmm. But when she goes back to her phone, when she's typing in the coordinates, the time code on the text message itself, not the time on her phone, the time code on mm-hmm. you know, when that text was received now says 16.44. Correct. So then later, to jump ahead a little bit, when she looks at her phone again, once she's up in the other room, yep. then the time code for that message says 1550. Yeah. And her reply with the coordinates is not there yeah. in that last one. Right. So what's going on with those various uh, text messages and with these uh, time codes? Um, I mean, I guess there are a couple possibilities, as you mentioned, one of them would just be to chalk all of this up to your kind of continuity error. Yeah, just to get that out of the way and mention that as a possibility. If they're shooting sequentially and they're shooting with cell phone technology and they're shooting the screens of the phones and they're not using CGI to correct all the timestamps, then yeah, it would end up looking jumbled, something like this. Right. There were also time issues um, with regard to uh, the earlier text message, like the Las Vegas message. I'm not sure if we hit on that, but... Mr. C's phone there said 9.34 when he was sending that. When Diane received it, it was 7.28 p.m., I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were time zone differences, but in the wrong direction for that to account for this difference. Right. So, okay, I mean, there's all of this stuff. Okay, so it could just be along the lines of continuity errors slash not caring about this, just kind of we could wave our hands at it. But well, we are also in the middle of a story about interdimensional travel and possible parallel universe theory we, and time travel. Yeah, we and, may well yeah. be. That stuff has been happening, you guys. Time and space itself um, is getting fractured amongst yeah. different layers. So I'm definitely um, almost fully on board with this um, theory or interpretation at this point that, no, what this has to do with is um, something along the lines of fracturing or splintering time or, um, you know, parallel realities uh, uh, related to this multidimensionalism. Yeah. Or, and then, I'm going to throw in there, too, I started thinking, okay, well, I was worried about how Mr. C uh, had the three sets of coordinates if Diane sent them later. But he also, as you said, we keep calling it magic tech, right? Yeah. Maybe he, like texts in a time travely way for all I fucking know. <laughs> right? Yeah, like could that we could we could resolve all of this by a really weird interpretation of 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 um suggesting that his texts operate somehow outside of time or or that his texts are time traveling themselves. Mm-hmm. That um or something like that. Yeah. So I, I think that something like that would be the idea that there's more purpose in the narrative in trying to describe it as just like split realities, fractured time. Mm-hmm. Um, but something is up. We kind of get the idea that that Lynch and Frost know that people are like hawk-eyed watching the details to this yeah. because this is a mystery and we're all trying to solve it. Mm-hmm. And so when we see things like this, we're wondering how much are they willing to let continuity errors go? Which we'll forgive, of course, because it's a huge production. But yeah. when we're looking so closely, would they really let that slide? Well, to and me, we don't know. That's why, again, I mean, it's uh, you know not the um, 
most certain uh, kind of evidence to appeal to. But my argument here is going to be there's too much of it yeah. for me to be willing to chalk it up as a continuity error, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Or just in the meta, the idea of the meta production, you know, all these things that are happening all the way to creating a separate website for Bill Hastings' website, you know. Yeah, which, by the way, mentioned the possibility of splinter time. Right. 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 So, yeah. But that's, that's what I'm bringing up is this idea that um, they're fine with anything like that as long as it fits under the umbrella. Like, will it work? Yeah, we're talking about split time, so of course it'll work. Send, keep it in. You know, yeah, I like it. It could be both. Yeah. it could totally be both. It's, so it's like, a mystery. It could be like, ambiguous. It's it's going to be some kind of splintered time stuff. So don't worry about exactly. The, you know, yeah, and I think that that plays fine. Yeah. Um. So in this moment, though, Diane looks grave, and I think she's she's bouncing back and forth. I can see. Uh, first of all, Laura Dern, I love oh, you. She's great. You're so amazing. Um, and another one of these actresses, like Grace Zabriskie, the Lynch has worked with forever. Mm-hmm. And we see this whole history of their collaborations in the scenes that are fresh and new. Um, when I read Laura Dern's face, I have all these references from all the other projects, oh, you know. So and much. you, she's so great with her face alone and not telling you every word. Uh, you see yeah. that she's got this incredible internal struggle. And mm-hmm. she's threatened by the worst evil demon. And at the same time is also trying to save the greatest hero, but they're the same person. Like, she is um, caught between right. and these the, so two. There's this conflict, and, and the one thing that I'm really wondering about is what does she mean when she says, I hope this works? Well, that's what I mean. Is she yeah. now planting, supplanting some possible different coordinates that if they do turn out to be the trap coordinates, maybe that's the moment she's, you know, in this, of course, we have to give for the time change. Mm-hmm. Um, or is this some sort of desperate way of still trying to get Cooper back and tip Cooper off. Well, I mean, or is, or, is she texting these, uh, this last one? Did that, are we sure that that one went to Mr. C? Maybe that well, was texted somewhere else. Or maybe that one did go to Mr. C and they're the right coordinates that are going to lead him to twin peaks. And she remembers something else pertaining to the real Cooper. Right. Oh, who Coop, just I remember. Up, yeah. And then maybe what she's hoping works is, his plan to defeat Mr. C in Twin Peaks. Rad. So rad. I'm could the, be. It could be <laughs> yeah. that. It, it could, could be. be. I'm still like on Team I Diane. I do like that. Yeah. But like, I think uh, that Diane, it's funny because I think that Diane is a double agent working two sides of the same person. Yes. Right? It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. She's a double agent, but she's wor- both sides that she goes and reports to are the same person split into uh, binary. Yeah, and don't worry, guys. We'll get to the fact that she's like a tulpa or something here in just a minute. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's what happens. So yeah. she looks grave. We see that she has a gun in her purse. Oh, man. And, and after we were talking about mm-hmm. Hitchcock, the tension. Yeah. There's so much tension. This is definitely call um, out and homage to Hitchcock in moments of this. The tension building is really great. Just yeah. knowing the gun's there and it's shown to us, we know it's going to be used right. in some Right, I mean, of course, fashion. we can mention, you know, the Chekhov's gun thing. But mm-hmm. just the, the, the way that they did this felt... Um, very much like Hitchcock to me because it's not just that they show us the gun, but then there's all of this tension with the purse, right? Yeah, a purse, yeah. Her putting her phone in her purse, her mm-hmm. going into her purse in order to get her cigarettes out. Yeah, and just a wave like of the hand above every the time. purse and you think something's going to go down yeah, right every now. Every time. It's like, she's going to pull that gun out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and we also have this, like, the tension builder of her walking to Cole's room. And right, the, and so we get the mm-hmm. Muddy Magnolias again, American Woman. Yeah, the David Lynch remix. This is the first time we've heard this since uh, it was the very beginning introducing Mr. C in episode one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but so now we really see cool it with song. Diane's really walk like down it. the hallway toward the control room, and that itself is just building such tension. The way that there. was shot, too, 
And, you know, you're talking about Laura Dern. We're talking about her facial expressions. What a great actress she is. Yeah. And then these shots, too. I can't help but think about Inland Empire. Yeah. Right. I, in fact, I want to like go home and watch that again. Yeah. Because it's a great film. But that the shots, everything going on with her face, that music playing, the darkness uh, was just the tension mm-hmm. was so palpable. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I could hardly um, breathe. Right. You know. So she's approaching Cole's room. And once again, which actually happens nearly every single time Come that in, Diane. Diane goes to them, <laughs> yeah. he senses that she's about to arrive before mm. she arrives. And, you know, maybe he hears her. Yeah. Right. I, I guess that's a possibility. Um, but yeah. So he says, Come in, Diane. And they are sitting there in the same positions we've last seen them in that room. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. If that's any indication beyond the fact that those are the places where they sit in this room. Right. You, what do you think? Anything deeper well, there? Well, in a couple minutes, we're going to talk about what happens in this scene. And then that could fracture into possibly a looping room where this is happening yeah. over and over again. But for now, we see she comes in. Um, she basically, like you said, same kind of scenario where mm-hmm. everybody's seated the same. Um, she says, you asked about the night Cooper came to me, and I'm going to tell you about it. Albert mm-hmm. says, you want a drink? And she yeah. says, yeah. Where, of course, last time they were in the setup, right, was Cole asking her about that night and if Cooper had mentioned Briggs. Yeah. And in that said, scene, she you, denies it. Yeah, right. exactly. I don't want to talk about that night. Yeah. So she's going to tell them about this night. And, of course, we want to hear about it. And this, and, the uh, whole scene, lead, this leads into a monologue, but it opens with Diane opening up her purse. Yeah. And you think right at the beginning, oh, my God, we're not going to get the story. Mm-hmm. Um, she drinks up. She pulls her cigarettes out instead. And we see that Cole is actually watching her very closely. And I thought there was a little bit of a, like, licking his lips, w- looking at the cigarettes moment. Like, Maybe. they hinted at before when they shared one. Yeah, is he is he um, looking at the cigarettes that way? Or is he just... Um, or is he already kind of thinking? Are all of them already thinking, man, is she packing in that purse? You Maybe. Know? Or, is, or uh, is Cole excited for the story? Yeah. Because you know, he wants so he's to he's leaning into that, too. That and she sets the that, scene. Yeah. She goes into it, says it was about three or four years after I stopped hearing from Cooper. Um... She was still working at the bureau at that time. Oh, uh, we get the title of the no episode. Knock, no doorbell. He just walked in. He was standing mm-hmm. in my living room. I was so happy to see him, and I held him close. Um, mm-hmm. She talks of sitting on the t- uh, sofa with him and talking. Says something along the lines of how he all he wanted to know about was what was happening at the bureau. Yeah, right. So she's really happy to see him. So this is uh, three or four years after he disappeared, I guess. So this is putting us in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, and, of course, she's happy to see him. She says he. Um, it felt like he was grilling me, but I told myself he was just excited to hear about the bureau stuff, right? Right. So she also says, right, she wanted to hear everything about what he'd been up to. Yeah, what he and had been doing. It doesn't sound like she got much of that. Yeah. Right. Because uh, somewhere in there, she says, and then he leaned in. He leaned in yeah. to kiss me. And she says, it only happened once before, hinting that they had, had at least one other kiss before, yeah, right? Yeah. That's new information that mm-hmm. they did have uh, one kiss once before. Um which I don't know if that indicates a whole heck of a lot. But just um, to think of all the times we I saw mean, in the original series yeah. where he's speaking to her and what was their level of flirtation slash romance at that point. Yeah. I mean, it indicates something. Yeah. But, you know, a single kiss is not a relationship. But right? it's a, That's all um, I meant. a reference that she knows, like she says, mm-hmm. this time, though, uh, as mm. soon as his lips touched mine, something went wrong. I something felt afraid. went wrong. Yeah. I Something went wrong. Yeah. And then 
Right. That he sensed her fear yeah, and he saw he the smiled. fear in and he smiled and his face which I'm thinking is like the Bob face. Yeah. We haven't seen, you know, people have pointed this out that uh Bob's supposed to smile, right? Uh mm-hmm. everybody run yeah. likes fun, whatever. Right. We don't really see Mr. C smile except in that scene in the prison when he's looking in the mirror. In the mirror. And he says, yeah. Good, you're still with oh, me. Oh boy, is that a spooky scene. So I'm thinking of something like that face. Yeah. And he smiles. And of course that would make you afraid. And she says that's when it started. Uh, but she was afraid before he smiled. Yeah. Right? He smiled at her fear. Yeah. Which also very much fits in with Bob. Right. I think. Feeding off right? of the fear. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And then she says, and that's when it started. He raped me. And she mm-hmm. repeats that. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about, and I think it's worth pausing and noting, just yeah. the, the, the power of or how rare it perhaps is uh, to have a woman on a TV show just say something like that that bluntly. Yeah. Right? And this is pulled off so real. And she's yeah. really pulling into the pain and the trauma of so many people. And this and, and makes you thing. think of it in the real world, you know? And yeah. what are the statistics and... Uh, it's oh, just something that's awful, but to hear it yeah. pronounced is mm-hmm. not to shun it, not to deny it, but to openly have it right there in a climactic moment in yeah. your show. You and, know, you know, this is a big thing stuff. that I want to hang on to in thinking about uh, Diane's character up to this point is at this kind of uh, emotional level. I really I believe it. I, th- I think that there's genuineness yeah. going on there. Yeah. So back to that in a moment. But th- uh, back to this in- internal struggle that she's <laughs> yeah. in where she's realizing and it's kind of like this horrific epiphany, right? The thing that she's realizing is horrific. Mm. Um, but she's going into this, and then she says, afterward, he took me somewhere, like, and she struggles with it a little bit. Yeah. But she remembers. It's like she's discovering it as she's remembering um, an old gas station. Which I immediately thought of the convenience store, of course, as yeah. we call it. Which it probably was, I think. Yeah. yeah. So she's, and she's thinking about it. You could see the way her eyes shift, and she's, like, picturing it. She's placing herself back there again. She becomes obviously afraid. Um, we flash to her looking down at her phone, and she sees the smile with the all text. Right. This time stamped 1550, like yeah, you mentioned. Exactly. And there's a period this time, too. Yeah. It's just a little different. Yeah, yeah. slightly different. But she sees mm. it again, and it, it brings back to mind, like, oh, I've been commanded by this awful force. And she starts almost hyperventilating, trying to deal with all this happening. Yeah, we were talking about this along the lines of a Manchurian candidate kind of thing or something. Like this all message was triggering something. Yeah, right. Uh, I guess. Yeah. And um, in this moment, she says, I'm in the sheriff's station. And she repeats it. I'm in I'm the sheriff's station. station. She also says, I sent him those coordinates. I'm in the sheriff's station because, because. And she says, I am not me. I am not me. And she's freaking out. Yeah. Right. She looks into and the bag, her bag again. At now this moment, we see a shot game. of Tammy and Albert who are kind of rustling in their yeah. seats, getting ready for action because <laughs> they know. They're seeing it coming. Yeah. And for me, I thought maybe uh, in particular once she said, I sent him the coordinates. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh. But there's a little pause, a pause moment here for a second. I was wondering at some point in here, especially saying I'm in the sheriff's station, this made me think, wait, is Naido coming through her now? And then, she, and then when she's saying, I'm not me, I'm not me, she's back to being Diane. I took it as a little section where... Suddenly she's speaking for Naido saying, I'm in the sheriff's station and I gave him those coordinates. And maybe mm. Naido is the third source of the coordinates possibly. And oh. hear me out. And then this links to all the okay. possible um, idea that maybe Naido 
and Diane are somehow connected. There's yeah. a similarity in the names. You have N-A-I-D-D-I-A-N, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have Diane dressed in basically using a very popular um, hair, uh, a haircut that's very popular um, in Japan. And okay. it's that kind of style haircut that was invented in Japan. And she's also the kind of garb that she wears. Okay. You know, there's kind of a, something in a, like a little J-pop kind of sense thing that she's doing. Yeah, I suppose. And I mean, the biggest thing for me would be this line, I'm in the sheriff's station. And saying she's in the sheriff's station, yeah. That's the one thing that I would hold. I mean, okay, maybe. But the I similarity of the name, it's like Diane mm. backwards with an O. and You know, you know. I, I suppose it's possible. But uh, So, but as she's saying, I'm not me, I'm not me, I felt, okay, now she's back to being Diane and she's realizing, it's an epiphany moment. She realizes that she's not her, meaning she realizes that she's a doppelganger. Well, that she's a tulpa. That I'm she's not sure a if tulpa. those are the same. I'm not sure right? uh, how these terms work either. But, but at that I moment, mean, she pulls the gun, right? Mm-hmm. But Tammy and Albert are quicker, and they oh, shoot yeah. her. They're on it. But then she just, like, zaps out of the room. Yeah, she, like, flails a moment, then she flies away, and, disappearing uh, in a similar way that we saw Laura disappear before. Yeah, or Naido. And right? Naido. So, I mean, I guess, you know, there are some things there to uh, pull on. And shit, since people are talking about this and it's turned out that other things people were talking about turned out to be true. Yeah. Eh, it's probably true. Yeah. That's right where I'm at at this point. Like, yeah. I've been resisting these things. Like, no, pay attention to these little details and how something else might be possible. And it's like, nope, Richard was Audrey and Mr. C's son and, you know, yeah. and so on and so on and so on. So. You know, maybe, maybe that which is, is I think, a going. good sign. It means that we're going to get a heavy mystery, but we're not going to be left out completely in left field. Yeah. Uh, at this moment, though, Tammy kind of after a second of being shocked, and Tammy's the most shocked. She says, "Wow, they're real. That was a real tulpa." Sheriff station. And Cole responds saying, <laughs> "Sheriff station," which of course he's pointing out the most important line that he tuned into because mm-hmm. he's the greatest FBI agent of all time, maybe second. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, this whole scene where you get Tammy's reaction and she says it's Tulpa. So here's the question. So if Diane was a Tulpa of a a doppelganger of the real Diane, and that was the moment she disappears similar to um, Lois Duffy, right? Yeah. It calls to that where Lois Duffy was the woman in the hotel room that Agent Jeffries and Agent Cole long ago started their first Blue Rose case with because they saw a Tulpa. And that was described to Tammy. And Albert kind of leads Tammy into describing, oh, it's a Tulpa. Right. And then gives her a nod saying, yeah, that's right. Good. So first of all, Tammy uses the word Tulpa. Um, And I don't know about Lois Duffy. Yeah. But I am thinking there's a distinction between being a Tulpa and being a doppelganger. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. Think about Cooper. Yeah. So you've got Cooper. Then you've got Cooper's doppelganger, who we've been calling Mr. C, who it seems was created in the lodge at the end of season two. Right. Then you've got Dougie Jones. Again, OGD, original Dougie. Yeah. Right. Maybe Dougie's a Topa. Yeah. He seems more like uh, being uh, similar to um, a Topa in my mind. Okay. And maybe, and well, given what we're about to see too, there's a similarity between him and Diane. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking there's a distinction between, um, a being like Dougie or Diane here and a doppelganger. So, okay. I can get that. I want to call the one a Tulpa and the other a doppelganger. I like that. I'm with you. You know, just for terminology. Mm -hmm. Um, because it seems like, right, I don't think Mr. C has that little golden seed ball in him in the same way. Well, right? this is such an I think interesting, he's a different yeah. kind of thing yeah. than Dougie Jones was. But right? it, of course, calls to question, what is a doppelganger then? Because Mr. C, I mean, that is Cooper. We were talking about this earlier. Right. So if 
Cooper, back in the day, went into the lodge, and then Bob took over his body. We saw him running around in the lodge with a twin, whether that's a tulpa or a doppelganger. I think more of that doppelganger applies then. Yes. He is a twin figure running around the Red Lodge. The bad one gets out. So we assume, and we have seen the the good one stuck in the lodge. The the evil Dale has gotten Mm -hmm. out. Well, and also it was the lodge beings who... Uh, the arm, I believe, who used the word doppelganger yeah. in the lodge. Correct. That's happened a couple times Yeah, now, right? correct. Yeah. So, but what gets out is, okay, Cooper's doppelganger and Cooper is still in the lodge. The good but, Cooper. But yeah. here's here's my question is, why haven't we been calling Mr. C Bob this whole time? Because I think that there's a difference between Bob and the doppelganger. Okay, so, but the doppelganger is evil Coop and is also possessed by Bob? Yeah, that's what I think. We okay. talked about this a bit, I think, in, in uh, the one we did on the first four parts. And as I recall, you mentioned like uh, the idea of uh, bringing in something like a yin-yang thing mm-hmm. or something like that so that um, the, the doppelganger coop would just be the, I don't know, the bad half or something. Right, but I, it can't exist know. independently. It still would have a seed of good, just like the evil one would still have a seed, uh, or just like the good one yeah. would still have a seed of evil. Right, but maybe we shouldn't read that so straightforwardly along the lines of good and evil, right? Well, I mean, for, yeah. What Mr. C does seem to have that our good old Dale Cooper had in the original series is that level of being a badass, Yeah. right? Um, being super... Um, clever and and all of that that, Mm -hmm. that's there it seems like that aspect of cooper is there and we have the moment where philip jeffries does you know he tells him about the moment he saw him in philadelphia and he says so you are cooper yeah so there's a something of cooper in there but it can also be read as um for lack of a better term let's say the soul or the spirit of cooper who was trapped in the black lodge Mm -hmm. figured out how to get out of the lodge and into a tulpa Mm -hmm. which was dougie and then that soul and that spirit over time and with a little help from electricity, became yeah. uh, a little bit more and more uh, the real Cooper as time went on until now we feel like we have that 100% he is Cooper. Yeah. So this this is the soul traversing um, the afterlife back into the the realm of the real, let's say, for lack yeah. of better terms of all this. Um, so the soul traversing death and becoming alive again. And, you know, so he, Cooper has escaped death. It's like a Ingmar Bergman playing chess with death or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. And was, so to get mm-hmm. pure redemption, um, what really is required? Is it is it getting Bob out of Mr. C and Mr. C and Dougie Coop clash into each other and then they form one body and then suddenly, you know? Uh, I don't think that's where we're going how anymore. Does, how does the, um, the balance I had, happen? I had been thinking maybe something like that. So I'm almost more confused now that Cooper is back, as you say, quote unquote 100 mm-hmm. percent because i had been reading it kind of as dougie cooper being the um you know the the joie de vivre uh, the the kind of charmed side of, of cooper the mm-hmm. um just that positive goodness but yeah. without the cleverness and the like more yeah. badass side and that mr c had that part of cooper mm-hmm. but if cooper is back to cooper fully and mr c's still out there I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I don't. I, mean, I don't know that we're ever going to get a definitive answer either. Um, but I'll probably have more to say about it once we see the finale. Yeah. And either way, this is all building up toward that finale. The finale, I think, is going to be so amazing because it's going to bring all these things to a head in one two-hour span. Mm-hmm. And I think um, whether or not we get the questions we have answered, I think important questions will be answered. It's more like, are we asking the right ones? Yeah. And I feel like at the end of the finale, I'll be like, ah, yes. 
Right. Still didn't get any that, of my questions answered, well, but no, the important look, questions uh, were answered. I, I almost want to approach it in a different uh, set of terms, right? Like, I think we'll get some answers if you want to call it that, or further clues if you want to call it that, or just more text to interpret, right? Yeah. What we're not going to get is all of it spoon-fed to us. Right. So all right. I want and hope for is enough to be able to um, think about it and interpret it and at least find speculative ways of answering my questions. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. And I think we will get that. I think we but will But I do also kind of have a hunch that the mystery will continue. Oh, absolutely. And like Firewalk with me following up the original series, we could get another movie. Mm. We at least will get the final dossier, which is already planned to be released on Halloween. Yes, indeed. And so the mystery will continue and there will be more information past the finale. But this finale, I think, is going to rock. Let's rock. I agree. But, but let's go back to Diane for a moment, right? We need to finish that yep. out. Yep. So we cut from uh, Cole saying Sheriff Station mm-hmm. and the idea like, oh, all roads do lead to Twin Peaks and soon – uh, to the red room, and we see Diane seated in one of these old classic style chairs in front of the red curtains. Right, and uh, on this exact tile says, "You have been manufactured." And classic Diane, she says, "I know, fuck you." Right. Yeah. So this is great because even as a manufactured topa, she's aware of it, but still has the essence of the whole "fuck you" thing. Yeah, and it complicates the issue. So first of all, um, as you were pointing out. Uh, she speaks normally. Yeah, not speaking and backwards. The only other people we've seen speak normally were Cooper and, we realized, the original Dougie. Yeah. When he says, that's weird. Yeah. I feel funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and undergoes the same process we're about to witness Diane undergo. Right. But yeah. So what is the status of Diane if she has been manufactured like Dougie was, which is why I'm I'm just going to call both of them tulpas. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this manufactured status with these weird seed ball bearing things. But if Diane is at least now self-aware of that, okay, fine. But what about going backwards through what we've seen of her in the return? Mm -hmm. To what extent were we dealing with Diane? Yeah. And um, given just, you know, a lot of this might be Laura Dern's performance and just how well the, um, emotions come across and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of committed to the idea that this was in large part Diane. Yeah. Like the character of Diane. Well, it could be the Diane Tulpa that then got a dose of electricity or maybe her vodka and smoking or something. Maybe she was the Tulpa that awoke just as we've witnessed Cooper being a Tulpa that awoke. Mm-hmm. And can we potentially see Cooper in this Dougie body still being a Tulpa that will still possibly undergo the same same no, kind of because, process. No, because Cooper's not in Dougie's body. Mm-hmm. Cooper took uh, Dougie's place bodily as well, right? Because then he didn't weigh as much, right? And his suit didn't fit as mm-hmm. well and all of that. Mm-hmm. So th- th- these were distinct beings, I think. And what we're dealing with now is Cooper, Cooper, body and soul. Yeah. As I think you said earlier, mm-hmm. right? So, but yeah, Cooper woke up. Maybe there's some moment here of Diane coming to awareness of herself as a tulpa, and maybe it's not till the very end of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a question I've been thinking about in terms of to what extent what we're getting is really Diane, Diane, if you want to call it that, yeah. as opposed to what has been kind of programmed into her right. by Mr. C. That's a big part of the question here. What yeah. memories do you have? Are they the accurate memories of Diane's full life or well, not? Or the life that even she led after she was manufactured right. 
to what extent does she continue to be Diane? Mm-hmm. If you're following me here. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. there's the moment that evil Cooper shows up at her place and then, of course, rapes her and then takes her to the convenience store. Which or is when I'm imagining, when I, which is when I'm imagining the Tulpa Diane is created. Is created, and possibly the real Diane is actually murdered and or stuck in the Maybe with the woods or something. Maybe she's stuck in the Dutchman's, or, yeah. or she's dead. I think she might be stuck in some lodge space because I could very well see that being a plot point in the finale. Yeah. Um, Regardless, I mean, part of what I'm thinking about is when Albert and Cole show up, right, they don't think, oh, this isn't Diane. Yeah. Not if, I mean, like, even she's telling them to fuck off, and then they're just like, yeah, we know, you're Diane, mm-hmm. right? So that there would be some continuity with the Diane that they knew, the real Diane, and this being who is perhaps the manufactured Diane. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is weird and interesting. Yeah. And, of course, Gordon says he felt it when he hugged her. Now I'm thinking maybe what he felt, this has been a question for a bit, right? Maybe what he felt was that she was maybe a tulpa. Right. Yeah, Yeah. very well could be. And of course we have seen over and over where he's had this kind of uh, sense about her approaching when, before she gets there and such. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll find that out. I assume in the finale as well. Um, In this uh, room, when she's sitting in this chair though, the actual practicality of what this process is, so her jaw moves. There's just like this weird cracking and snapping yeah. of her face. Um, the face cracks open, which is also reminds us of Sarah Palmer and Laura's face coming off. There's like a hollow shell that can be cracked open beneath mm. which uh, we see the black fire and yeah. we see this little shard or seed, we can now call it, right. coming out of Diane's head. And it's interesting that you're using the term black fire because in the interim from when we saw this happen to um, original Dougie, We've had that reference um, from Hawk's, Hawk's map. map. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's there describing uh, fire being more of a symbol in modern times, being more like electricity, mm-hmm. and also says that it would be black fire after you combine that symbol with a dead or decaying corn stalks, right? Yeah, that's about so, all they say about it, right? But the or corn stalk decaying and being bad corn you can't eat that has grown yeah. it is, does remind me of like a body without a soul or something. You can't, that's not a real living. It's got this air of death about it. Yeah, okay. And then you combine that with electricity, Mm -hmm. and then you get black fire. And in both of those cases, we've seen like a dead stalk of corn combined with electricity, and then boom, black fire out of your neck. You make a tulpa with um, the seed, uh, some garmabosia, um, some scorched engine oil. And, and some uh, genetic electricity we'll and genetic it, activity. Yeah, 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 you need the DNA in there too. Yeah. So you got a strain of hair, you got a little ball bearing, you got some scorched engine oil yeah. and some cream corn. Yeah. And you mix that together and you just like a, jolt it with a taser and a tulpa is born. Boom. A tulpa is born. Solved it. Yeah. Bob's your uncle. Exactly. Yeah. Sit down and eat some popcorn. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then uh, the seed ball pops out of the black fire. Uh, the body kind of distorts in this really cool way. It collapses into an electrical buzz, and only the seed is left in the chair. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really love the effects of this. It was great. And yeah. the effects earlier that we see of Richard you know, getting zapped. I think yeah. uh, some of the best effects we've seen in all of The Return have been in this episode. And, uh, and of course, um, Gerard covers his eyes again. Yeah, at right? the flashing light so is too great to witness. It's too um, powerful even for the eyes of the lodge being. Yeah, which right. also is uh, reminds me of when we're talking about the Raiders of Lost Ark scene before, where yeah. Indiana can survive because he's covering his eyes. Well, yeah, and they're like some things cannot be seen. Yeah, exactly, right? and that's too um, powerful or too great for you to place your eyes on, which also is an Old Testament thing as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, 
Um, yeah, quite interesting. So we see this process happen, and we see it happen with Diane. Um, we cut from here to the Silver Mustang Casino, right? Yep, and Janie and uh, Coop and... Uh Oh, man, it feels good to just call him Coop. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, arrive with Sandy Jim to the Silver Mustang. Yeah, uh, the Mitchum brothers see him and they say, Dougie. And Janie kind of gets the idea of like, wait, where are you going? And Dougie Cooper has yeah. to pull them aside. Um, yeah, so he says, give me a moment with my family. And then I love this little exchange with the Mitchum brothers about how he, you know, he really seems to be with it or whatever. Yeah, he's talking know. with a lot of assurance these days. And then Rodney says, well, maybe something to do with the coma. Side effects. Yeah, Bradley snapped his fingers. <laughs> you know, side effects. It's like he's got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Figured it out. Yep. Yep. Oh, I got it. Side effects. <laughs> it's so ambiguous. That's great. But so. I, I love the character of Bradley. He's, uh, you know, he's filled with uh, kind of like a, a lot of positivity. Yeah. Um, But he's, you know, a little bit of a clown as well. It's, he's yeah. funny. You like Bradley more or Rodney more? Oh, they, they're two parts of the same coin. Yeah, I mean, okay, we're, yeah. they're the brothers. Can't have one Mitchum. without the other. Yeah, yeah exactly. Indeed. Uh, um, so then this moment with uh, when Cooper is talking to Janie and Sonny Jim, this is also really poignant. Yeah, he crouches and, down. He, he wants mm. a moment of uh, privacy. And in a casino, he, <laughs> there's basically only a couple ways you can do that. Yeah. And one is to crouch down in an aisleway where no one's gambling yeah. and let the sound of all the slot machines around you cover over what you're about to say. Yeah. <laughs> is kind of the thought Basically, I Basically, that's where we're going. So yeah. he crouches and he says, I, he tells him, I have to go away for a while, but I wanted to tell you how much I've enjoyed spending time with both of you. Mm-hmm. This really hit me. You made could, my heart so full. Yeah, so full. And just sad. And it's, it reminds me of many moments that really exist where, you know, well, somebody has to say goodbye to their family. You know? And also that we have, you know, I mean, the whole um, series, everyone's been wanting Cooper back, of course. But the way they did this, now we've got to deal with the fact that we lost this other character. Yeah, we've grown to love Dougie. Yeah, we, yeah. We lost Dougie Cooper. And, yeah, and um, yeah. And Janie's realizing that she says, "What?" And yeah. he says, "You made my heart so full. Uh, what are you saying? Uh, we're a family, Dougie. I mean, I will be back." And Janie says, "Wait, you're not Dougie." Right. And then Sonny Jim, very melodramatically, is like, "You're my daddy. You're my daddy." Which reminds us dad? both. Yes, it's it you're my dad. You're my dad. Yeah, it reminded me of the, the Donna scene at yeah. the end of season two when she's hugging Doc Hayward saying, you're my dad. Getting confronted by Ben Horn stepping in saying, hey, wait, no, your family's not what you thought. Yeah, I think there's a little callback going totally. on there. But Cooper here says, he says I I'm your dad, Sonny Jim. Um, I'm your dad and I love you. I love you both. And he hugs mm-hmm. him. Janie I mean, cries. He's walking away. Janie comes after him, says, don't go. Um, but then says... You know, something like, thank you, whoever you are. Yeah, he, right. when he says, hey, I've got to go, but he promises her. He says, I'll walk through that red door even, and I'll be home for good. Oh, yeah. And we get the idea, What are you, are you saying that Dougie's going to actually be right. back? Or you're going to finish your business and you plan on coming back? Janie's smart. Yeah. Because when he said, Dougie, I mean, I will be back. Yeah, right? she heard she's that. already been picking up on this. She's yep. already been picking up on it. And, We've seen her picking up on it throughout. And this is just like yep. her confirmation that... Uh, whoever she's dealing with here is not really Dougie. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like you point out, she says, whoever you are, thank you, after saying don't go, and he says, I have to. It's a super dramatic moment. It's like and Humphrey again, Bogart moment, right? I have to, right? Yeah. That distinction between need and desire we yeah. were talking about before. Again, this is not I want to go. It's I have to go. It's my duty. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's my duty to go, right? And this reminded me of like Odysseus or something. Mm-hmm. Like he's got to go and, you know, face this mission what would that make her uh penelope i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, no, i don't know 
And we've, of course, had, what, a Dido reference and all this. Mm, so, yeah, many, so much yeah. mythology mm-hmm. spills over into this. Yeah. Um, but he says, I have to, a strong, romantic, end of the big Hollywood movie scene kiss that I yeah. kind of felt he wasn't returning now. Now he realizes he's Cooper. Yeah. She is trying to hold on and kisses him, but you don't really but see again, it, but it doesn't feel like he returns it to uh, me. But again, I know I agree with you, Mike, but I, again, I think that how I'm reading it, it's not that he doesn't want to fully kiss her back. Yeah. It's that what he wants and what he needs are two different yeah, things. Exactly. And what he needs is related to his duty as an agent of an FB of the FBI. Yeah, and putting your duty He's before your wants do. really is established as the high ethical and moral ground to stand on. And mm-hmm. again, like I said earlier, that's when we are really seeing R. Cooper in action. Absolutely. Taking yeah. the high road. And it's really beautiful to play it out this way. And also very sad that he's leaving the family. And she says, whoever you are, thank you. Um, and yeah, he joins course. the Mitchums mm-hmm. and he kind of like does a half look over, doesn't look back at her fully. Mm-hmm. And he leaves. The camera um, is a, a reverse shot showing uh, Janie and Sonny Jim. Mm-hmm. And the camera's backing away from them. Yeah. And so they're getting smaller and you get kind of this nostalgic feel that like there they are, they're going away. And it's also in the middle of this casino. Um, there are tons of sevens everywhere from the slot machines. There's a strange, you know, scarab beetle symbol and all kinds of um, crazy sounds and blips and beeps happening all around them. Uh, in an episode of tons of beeps happening, by the way, we get back to the sound of the casino yeah. beeping, mm-hmm. you know, um, from all the slot machines. And we um, and we say farewell, basically, to Janie E. and to Sonny Jim. Maybe, man. I mean, you know, given that it's Twin Peaks... I don't know. How much can I hope for the series to end with, uh, like, Janie E. and Sonny Jim having uh, Dougie come home and the family embracing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given that it's this show, probably not. But we do know Cooper did say, you know, I need you to make another one. So he is planning to provide them with, like, a new Tulpa Dougie. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And hopefully this one will be more like Cooper and not such a right. gambling philanderer. Yeah. Will the new Tulpa just go back to Jade and well, I mean, then things know, will the thing, revert? You know, about, uh, uh, um, thinking about Diane, too, in contrast to um, Dougie, mm-hmm. Dougie Dougie, uh, because he didn't seem like he was um, like Cooper much at all, right? Yeah. It seemed like he was gambling too much and he was having sex with prostitutes and mm-hmm. was caught up in uh, Tony's... Um, Insurance fraud. Insurance fraud yeah. and so on. So, yeah, how exactly um, do those relationships work is a question. But if Cooper is now responsible for the existence of the new Dougie he's asked Gerard to make, hopefully this will be like, you know, good, upright, Cooperish yeah. Dougie. Yeah, Cooperish Dougie, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, okay, so we cut from this goodbye into the inside of the Mitchum's limo. Yeah. And this is a hilarious scene, too, <laughs> because we get Rodney saying, OK, wait, Dougie, let me just get all this straight. And of course, right. all the audience, all of us are saying the same thing, too. But Bradley's saying, like, oh, hang on a minute. I want to hear this, too. But the implication that he can't hear it until he has his Bloody Mary. Yeah. And so but <laughs> right. it's funny. And the Bloody Mary is basically already made and Candy hands it right over to him. And he says mm-hmm. he takes a slurp of it. and He says, OK. And now he's ready to hear the story. And Rodney goes through and says, okay, so you don't sell insurance. You work for the FBI. You've been missing 25 years. And you want us to take you to a place called Twin Peaks. To the sheriff station. Right. And Dougie, we love you, but, you know, (laughs) because of our history and stuff, we're not welcome in places like that or by people like that. 
Well, fellas, that's all about to change. Yeah, he says, I read you 100%. I'm a witness to the fact that you two have hearts of gold. And then, of course, Candy's reaction, smiling, says they really do. They really do. And Bradley puts his arm around Coop, and they have a nice little family moment. Yeah, that's Um, good. There's a couple things to read between the lines here. First of all, just Candy supporting the idea that the Mitchum brothers' hearts are made of gold Mm -hmm. um, is really great because we started with these guys being like possible bad guys that were going to take Dougie down. And yeah. that were set up from the very beginning with Mr. Jackpots um, as being like the threatening element in Dougie's story. Um, but yeah. here yeah. they're a family and they're good guys. And actually, you know what? They were playing out a persona that wasn't quite who they are also. They really have hearts of gold. And we haven't seen them do anything particularly bad. I mean, there was the uh, indication that they'd maybe taken out a hit on like the spike, I yeah. guess. Or just, you know, Rodney showing off, up with a gun where they were originally going to kill Dougie with, kill, yeah. if it wasn't but, for the cherry pie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this moment, we've come full circle. They're, okay, so they're both very round characters, right? Yeah. They've, they've changed, and Dougie has changed them. And we get the scene where he puts his arm around him, and they're, you know, driving away from Las Vegas. And I got this thought in my head, like, oh, my God, so Special Agent Dale Cooper has cleansed the sins of Las Vegas. <laughs> he has, you know, gone there and, and through this event— He's changed the hearts and minds of these people. Um, he's, mm. you know, the, the whole situation with the assassins and the insurance fraud in the town and the Sin City bankers that are running the casinos. And who, I mean, picture the first time we see Jim Belushi, we're like, oh, you don't want to fuck with that guy. Yeah. You know, you, he's really, really threatening, you uh-huh. know, and then come full circle to this where the goodness and somehow the simplicity of Dougie has changed all these characters and made them good people. Yeah. Exactly. And in the it's in the great. heart of Sin City, yeah, I just love. It. And they're driving away into too. the sunset at, from Vegas, but the yeah. sunset is to go and to tackle the real issue. Actually, Ooh, what happened in Vegas is not going to stay there, <laughs> right? Because exactly. we're on our way to Twin Peaks. Yep. And so from this, the next shot we get is to the Roadhouse. We see the MC is welcoming Edward Lewis Severson the third, the third. Um, yeah, and this is Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder, um, yeah. But one thing I wanted to call everyone's attention to here is if you pay attention to the credits, I thought this was great. In the credits, he's listed as Eddie Vedder mm-hmm. playing um, Eddie Lewis Severson III. Yeah. Right? That, that's in the where the character. But that's actually is. his real name. That's his, his birth given name. name. Yeah, that's yeah. the name he was born with. So that's so. interesting. It's like uh, Monica Bellucci where you're switching it around and reversing it where because mm. in real life, Eddie Vedder, quote unquote, is a character's name. Of a real person, more or less, or a stage right? name that he's taken on, or what have you, mm-hmm. um, or he might—I don't know if he ever changed his name legally. He might have. Um, True. But regardless, that playing with um, the line between fantasy and reality, right? And of course, so in the Roadhouse, it's not Eddie Vedder playing, mm-hmm. right? But then in the credits, the, when his character's name is like his real birth name, yeah. I, I don't know. It's definitely, as you say, like under that same header as the Monica Bellucci stuff. Yeah. But also under the same header, I think, uh, sort of as doing something like dedicating last week's episode to Margaret Lannerman. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that that fudging of that blurring of the line between um, fantasy, and, uh, fantasy and reality. Yeah. Right, which is a kind of meta version of that, too, because we have characters within the story doing that. And mm-hmm. then in these moments where we're sitting there looking at the credits, you know, the credits don't exist to the characters in Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, that's for exactly. us. Mm-hmm. And so it's this other le- layer of reality that's so interesting that they're playing with, where they're mm-hmm. adding they're adding us to their project as another layer of personas that are involved yeah. with this story. And it's pretty it's pretty fascinating, I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, 
So uh, a couple of things about this song. So first of all, it's uh, running out of sand is uh, the metaphor uh, in the chorus and everything is sort of based around um, the hourglass, an hourglass, yeah. right? Which mm-hmm. is totally a huge symbol of soap opera dumb through yeah. days of our lives, right? Yeah. Being like sand through the, the hourglass. Sands of the hourglass. So are this the days, of, the our days lives, of our lives, right? But it's also, uh, uh, you pointed out, we've seen the hourglass symbol a couple times. There was an hourglass on Charlie's desk in right. episode 12. Right. Yeah, part 12. So the hourglass uh, there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just the idea of the the, t- the the sand is running out in an hourglass. The time is almost up. And literally, we got two episodes uh, yeah. left. This is the last well, main we, episode. Yeah, so true. the time is almost up in the show. Uh, and there's some stuff in the song lyrics also, though, about uh, questions of personal identity and the like, too. Right? Yeah, there's it's a like, bunch of things, I think, in the lyrics on this one. And first, let me say, so it's we got Eddie Vedder. He's playing a single solo acoustic guitar number that he sings. It's like a, a, right. a, a folk blues number. Yeah. And I think he executes it very well. Yeah. Um, it's He's also got kind of like a, a little bit of a garb that's kind of old blues man garb but you know and like the freddy krueger reference i'm bringing up before probably not there i'm reading into it because <laughs> i love this kind of american cinema yeah and we mentioned raiders lost ark earlier but he totally is wearing an indiana jones hat awesome and yeah. um but in the lighting in here he's delivering this message uh some of the lyrics uh, include uh you can't climb to heaven yeah um which uh you know reminds me of the tower of babel or just trying to reach into a higher plane as a human sure um sure, also absolutely. calls out to me uh the episode eight and the a-bomb kind of uh mm. the whole um ideas of jack parsons and this whole occult like alchemy kind of thing to become as powerful as a god kind of mm-hmm. thing jacob's ladder jacob's ladder itself we yeah before. yeah mm-hmm. um also um you can't hold the hand of a disembodied man. You know, you're mentioning disembodied man in this series yeah. in your lyrics. And, of course, mm. there's a couple of uh, versions of that. Yeah. Um, again, running out of sand in the chorus. Um, something about a stare at a reflection. Um, right. The right road is not taken. There's a lot of symbology of which road you're driving down. Right. So we could uh, think about mirrors. We're thinking about doppelgangers and reflections and all of that and roads. To, to and rhyme with that, roads. we get uh, fu- the future is forsaken and there's this whole mm. future past thing. Um, who I was never came again. Uh, running out of sand. And there's one particular line that says, uh, there's another us somewhere with much better lives. So mm. also just explicitly pointing out basically like this kind of like parallel dimension or a parallel right. universe kind of theory. And I mean, you know, and of course on a, a kind of mundane level, you could think of this as a kind of lamenting a failed relationship or something exactly. like that, right? Like, yeah. oh, somewhere there's a version of us where this worked out. Right. And we got to be like Ed and Norma were last week, right. you know, mm-hmm. but real life is we're not. We're like Ed and Norma have been the last 25 years. Yeah. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we think, like we've been programmed, here's the Roadhouse performance, and any moment I'm going to see Cobb and Yep, episode's over. See you guys later. Yep, but no, <laughs> of, uh, and just add well, to all the mind fucks of so this episode. Audrey and Charlie, we Charlie see them walk and Audrey in, walking. Uh, during the song. I think as we were watching it last night, I don't know if you noticed, I think I like pumped my fist or something yeah, like that. Totally, because <laughs> we, we're seeing them in the Roadhouse <laughs> and now. And they finally went to the yeah. fucking oh, Roadhouse. Shit, they're not stuck in that one room. Uh, so they, they show up, they go up to uh, the bar. I am pretty sure that Charlie orders two martinis two distinct times. Maybe he's just trying to order twice, but it seemed to me like he communicated the order twice. Yeah, I thought, you know, there's already, the bar is filled with people, and it's one of those moments where you walk up behind somebody and order over their shoulders, and he puts up his hands, and he's, there's his hand, and he says two. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, either he wasn't heard, or there's something in a glitch of a duality or something. I'm reading it the second way, but yeah. decide for yourselves. So they end up getting a seat at the bar, 
the song ends. There's the clapping. Audrey's looking around. I got the idea that Audrey's there looking for Billy, of course. Well, so she's I'm supposed thinking, to be there looking for yeah, Billy. Right. You're supposed to be there. Yeah. And Charlie <laughs> yeah. explicitly says that before. Mm-hmm. And so it's been prescribed to her to go there to look for Billy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, are we about to see Billy? Is she looking for Billy? She's looking around. Yeah. And um, in this moment, the martinis come. Charlie says, here's to us, Audrey. And she says, uh, here's to Billy. And she clinks her drink to his. She drinks, but Charlie yeah, doesn't. He, does he sits drink. there still. Then the MC comes in again. Eddie Vedder's finished. And the MC says, now, ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse is proud to present Audrey's dance. Audrey's dance. Yeah. The, what the fuck? Yeah, is what the happening? hell? Now worlds are breaking down and fourth walls are shattering and, and collapsing. Music hits. I love this song. It's Bad Elemente song, right? Yeah. I mean, which is a song she danced to in the double R in the original series. Right. And it hits and like the, everyone clears the floor, mm-hmm. right? And makes the space. And then Audrey gets up and she goes out there and she starts doing Audrey's dance. Yeah, she looks tense. Charlie's looking at her. Um, the, the way that the, clou- the crowd moves away mm-hmm. is like really clear space. Here comes Audrey. And she goes out. The theme starts. She's dancing on the floor. Similar moves to what we saw her dancing in the double R before. Absolutely, yeah. Um, mm. And w- correct me if I'm wrong, but that we did not only see her dancing to the jukebox in the double R. I- in the original series, was there some other moment, maybe in Ben's office or something, where we're seeing her dance also? To this song? Uh, well, I feel like there's a recurring mm. theme of her there was dancing definitely to some, music. Yeah, I think there definitely was something in Ben's office where he comes in and like, Tells her that the hotel guests have been complaining about the music. Right. Yeah, that's what you're thinking. Yes. Yeah, I don't remember exactly where that where that was. Early on. Fairly but early but on. it's yeah. it's this reminds us of mm. oh our old Audrey that used to sit and dance to oh, this yeah. music. This this song. I mean, I don't think it's actually the name of the song, but it is emblematic of Audrey, and this is Audrey's dance. Like, yeah, this can, is her theme. You can go on YouTube yeah. and type in Audrey's dance and get this song. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it's a beautiful song. It's it's mysterious. It builds it. some tension. It's kind of swanky and sexy in, at the same time. Yeah, weird jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So she's dancing to it. The room, every basically a spotlight turns on on her, and everybody's focused on her. The room itself, the crowd around that has cleared the way, they're all swaying in unison around her, mm-hmm. and it's like all of the consciousness in the room is focused on Audrey's dance. And this just gets disrupted pretty much out of nowhere, yeah. right? By some guy yelling, "Monique, that's my fucking wife!" Yeah, that's and my like wife. Asshole. This guy with a bottle. Yeah, crashes him in the head with a bottle. Interrupts the dance. Audrey's frightened. She runs back to Charlie and she says, "Charlie, get me out of here!" Kind of whimpering. And then this like, and now. electrical buzz. We cut to Audrey in a white room, staring into a big round mirror. Or it's, it struck me like almost like a cosmetics mirror. Yeah, right. Whatever. It looked kind of classical and very specific. But it's perfectly round, and she's not looking in the mirror, like, looking at the complexion of her skin. She's kind of, like, looking into her own eyes. And she's, like, right up in the mirror. Yeah. And, of course, she says, what? She's like, what? 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 And, and she's gasping, and we hear the electrical sound. Right and, there with her. Yeah, and we're with her as well. What the fuck <laughs> is yeah. going? Where is Audrey? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is uh, everybody's theories that they've theorized on this. There have been so many from coma to dreaming to whatever. Mm-hmm. You still could posit any of those and have this work. Yeah. But the one thing we know now is that there was the other reality is illusory, it seems. And mm-hmm. if that other reality, which contains Charlie and Audrey and shows them going into the roadhouse, it begs the question, does the roadhouse exist to have all of these performances or... and all the conversations at the booth that we've seen? Mm-hmm. Where is all of that taking place? I mean, of course, another possibility we were discussing is if you recall the roadhouse, even in the original run, 
seemed to have some kind of connection to the lodges and the like. The giant appeared there giving messages to Cooper and things like that. Yeah, or just the red curtains in general are represented there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I don't know that this indicates somehow that the roadhouse isn't really real and it's just in Audrey's mind or that all of these scenes we have seen even are that. It seems pretty clear to me that the roadhouse is real. I mean, James and Freddie were there, and Mm -hmm. other people have been there. Um, So what exactly is going on? I'm still not sure, but Mm -hmm. I'm excited about it. Uh, I don't think, still, I don't think it's as simple as she's in a coma. Yeah, I don't either. I kind of think possibly um, now this is also the episode where we find out that Mr. C did, in fact— probably rape her and mm-hmm. she gave birth to Richard Horn but maybe Rich, uh, Mr. C has trapped her somewhere in yeah. some sort of like psychological so prison some further trauma some further event mm-hmm. we have the mention of taking uh, Diane to uh, the convenience store mm-hmm. maybe something similar has happened with Audrey that mm-hmm. electrical noise indicates something along those lines so maybe. a couple things to discuss here and, that electrical um, noise did remind me of the exact same high current noise that we hear the woodsman, when Mister C is going to visit visit Philip right, Jeffries behind the tube radio, he cranks a switch, and we hear that sound. Right, which a couple of things we didn't catch about that last week. One is that the the, the amp, the radio amp thing, seems to be the exact same one as from the uh, older footage of the woodsman in mm-hmm. Fire Walk with Me. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe this is the same guy. Just now, he's like sooty. Yeah. But the other was about the jumping man's face. Yes. Right? Where we see Sarah Palmer's face yeah. actually overlaid in that moment. Yeah, and if anyone hasn't. Uh, uh, heard about this yet you can find images on the web mm-hmm. and uh, a slowed down video on YouTube mm-hmm. um, and so on that's fascinating how yeah. does a jumping man factor into all of this mm-hmm. I don't know but I we think I, I, I for some reason I have this um, thought that the jumping man might be more representative or almost symbolic of a kind of uh, conduit yeah. Or something. Yeah. Rather than thinking of the jumping man as um, a being, I think of the jumping man more as representative of something like this. I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe mm-hmm. part of it's the mask, mm-hmm. the fact that we, the fact that we see that mask on other people, like um, the Tremont grandson or the oh, monkey, the monkey, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and and things like that. Um, so I don't know, but the fact that Sarah Palmer's face was there yeah. in part 15, yeah, that does seem significant and mm-hmm. i'm sure something we'll we'll be thinking about as we live the rest of our lives and another thing from part 15 that we didn't discuss too much on our last podcast was the reference to sunset boulevard and i think there's a couple of things that is a good time to talk about that now as well well yeah particularly now we're, we're thinking about audrey i mean insofar as sunset boulevard you know really centers around um norma desmond's um kind of delusional reality yeah right um that she was a star but she still believes she is a star, mm-hmm. right? Don't call it a comeback. It's a return. Yeah, it's a return. Even that line. she's been mm-hmm. gone out of the spotlight for 25 years. Correct. Right, and yeah. so on. Yeah. So there's, there's a so lot of similarities names. involved with that. And the idea that the na- some names, you know, you have Norma Desmond, you have Gordon mm-hmm. Cole named mm-hmm. in there. Um, just in the line of uh, kind of shout-outs and homages to the different directors um, that Lynch has always appreciated, it is an on-screen presence of Cecil B. DeMille. Mm-hmm. Calling for Gordon Cole, right? Um, and uh, you know the film itself, directed by Billy Wilder. I mean, Sunset Boulevard. It's known as one of David Lynch's favorite films. Yeah, 
And right. of course, like Sunset Boulevard, Mulholland Drive, both yeah. like the twisting road where there's a car, an event with a car that leads to some yeah. other story. Well, and all of the stuff we've been talking about, about the line between fantasy and reality and mm-hmm. the blurring of that line. Yeah. And also the fact that Sunset Boulevard is a, uh, spoiler alert. Um, I think there's been enough time. <laughs> if you haven't seen it in the past 60, okay. Uh, is a film that is um, narrated by a dead man. Yeah. Right. And you get the messing with the time where yeah. you're you're telling the story and you're hearing it unfold from the perspective leading up to it. Right. It's and, fascinating. But then he's also telling you things after his own death, basically. Yeah. Where right? is he, where is the narrator um, in that moment? What time yeah, space so, continuum does that narrator? Yeah. Live on? That kind of question. I think you can certainly see Lynch playing with here. Yeah. I mean, all over the place, really. But if we were talking about Audrey in particular, there, there's maybe some level there yeah. where like is Audrey maybe sort of dead? Is she in some sort of lodge space? Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing that makes me think about the lodges is that when the credits roll, you've got the red curtains and everything, but you also have that song that she danced to mm-hmm. backwards. Yeah. Playing right? backwards. So yeah, I'm definitely thinking something lodgy. And one other, just to mention it real quick, one other thing that happens in sunset Boulevard is that when, uh, our main character approaches Norma Desmond for the first time in this yeah. very mysterious way. He's g- kind of trying to get away from the law. Um, it reminded me of James's uh, exploits with Evelyn. <laughs> oh, um, but of course, like yeah. Mulholland Drive, like mm-hmm. the, the similarities that I mentioned. But when he first goes in and approaches and gets inside of her home, yeah, he sees her dead monkey. And uh, sure. she's mm-hmm. got like this monkey that has been... Maybe a tulpa for her fans or whatever you would right. say. Yeah. Um. And it did that did remind me like, oh, what's with the monkey wearing the mask in Fire Walk with Me? Yeah, sure, absolutely. And so, but if uh, we suggest everybody go watch Sunset Boulevard, I've watched oh, it yeah. twice since episode fifteen. Oh, yeah, it's really good. And mm-hmm. there are a number of things inside there that you're like, oh, that's a Lynchism, and I see maybe where he got that. Mm-hmm. And for him to then bring it full circle back and represent it on screen in his new work, mm-hmm. I think is not only br- connecting things full circle again. But he's so great that over the years he's played all these little moments where he's paying homage to that kind of stuff, to Billy Wilder and Cecil B. DeMille and all these other great directors. But now he's reincorporating all those directors' great things in a very real way as a quote even in his project. Yeah, to bring bring it back to Audrey one more time, Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you have, when we've seen Audrey, I was just thinking about this just now basically, although it was there in my mind already. Uh When we've been seeing Audrey, she's been very made up. Right. Yeah, I'm talking about makeup. Exactly. Right. Yes. But then this last quick shot. She's not no. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Raw. Audrey. And mm-hmm. that plays in with the themes with Norma Desmond too, and the way that she is denying or trying to deny her own um, aging. Yeah. Right. That line in there where he says something like, "There's nothing wrong with being 50, unless you're trying to pretend you're 25." Right. Right. Something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and just the specifics of like 25 years and all of this. Yeah, and all of those things. That yeah. being the thing, okay, the thing that reminds him to plug in, let's say, is hearing Gordon Cole's name. But in the film, what that moment is, if yeah. nobody has seen the film, is the is Cecil B. DeMille, the director of a project, saying, get me Gordon Cole, who is the guy yeah. whose assignment was to get and use and rent out Norma Desmond's car. Right. He saw the car and yeah. he was like, oh, that's a cool old-timey car. We want to rent that for this film. She, making. in her twisted reality, mm. thinks, oh, they're coming yeah. back for me because my time's not yeah. over. She thought DeMille was um, going to uh, pick up her uh, script about Salome and yeah. so on. There's so much stuff in that Which, film. Which, again, another biblical it. reference. It's on is, Netflix right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. But another big biblical reference maybe worth pointing out is that her script is her trying to play Salome, right. who is the daughter, a princess of a king, who has demanded that John the Baptist's head be delivered to her on a platter, a silver right. platter. Mm -hmm. And so there's some play with the lore of that and the silver and the metal and also a headless corpse being referenced, mm -hmm. yep. a disembodied mm -hmm. corpse. Um, so there's... Uh, it's so, as I was watching Sunset Boulevard, I just thought, wow, references within references within yeah. references. It really gets pretty crazy and deep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So quite interesting. So yeah, everybody go go watch that for sure. Um, so we hear the electrical buzz. Uh, she looks into her own eyes. She's shocked. She's, she says, what? Freaking out. She's trying to figure out what's going on. There's a gasping. And then as you say, we cut back to the band in front of red curtains. We think the roadhouse. But all we really see in this moment is the band lit up, mm -hmm. playing live. Uh, they're playing backwards. The video footage is backwards. Yeah. It's very intriguing. If, if you pay attention to the drummer, especially, you can catch these moments where, like, the character's blinking when they're in reverse. Yeah. It happens fast at first and then slow, which is opposite nice. of what you would really yeah. picture. Um, and it's that song backwards, and that plays through the credits. We see the red curtains, um, and the song is backwards. And where are we left then? That's how we're left at the precipice before the finale. Yeah. I mean, of course, we have seen Jimmy Scott perform in the Red Room. Yes. Lot, but he wasn't backwards. But I, one of the things that did strike me, mm -hmm. too, though, was how well the song plays backwards. Like, yes, very cool. I enjoyed it. It was yeah. cool. Yeah. And again, like the binoculars backwards and then showing us the vignette, or mm -hmm. like the first time we see the convenience store in episode eight, where David Lynch, I feel like the sound is of one scrubbing a cursor through a video editing, a linear program uh, video editing timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like there's all these elements in the age of digital production and effects that he's really using smart and he's really able to experiment with this stuff on a big level. Every other producer is like, oh, yeah, I would love to experiment with that, but we're making a studio picture. We can't spend money yeah. and experiment. Mm -hmm. But Lynch and Frost are able to experiment and spend the big money. And that's when I'm really excited. Yeah, it's, it's really great. fucking awesome. It's really great. Yeah. So here uh, we are. Uh, so we're on the precipice. Yeah, we finished episode 16. We've yeah. got basically one more sitting which is going to be the two-hour finale, episodes 17 and 18 combined together. Yep, we're going to record one on that next week after we see the finale. And then we've been um, talking and planning to probably do another one shortly after in the coming week or so. Yeah, we're going to do a recap where we go the back to the whole thing. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Discuss everything. And then now that everything's on the table, kind of look at all the cards and see if we can piece some other things together that otherwise we would have missed. Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm thinking, like, we get to that one, now it's time for robust interpretive theory. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Got the whole, no more of this, like, oh, well, maybe, let's wait for more information. I mean, I guess we do have the final dossier we're going to have to wait a couple months for. Yeah, there will definitely be some reveals you know, in that. Um, but you're saying, basically, that the fanatical element of all this hasn't even begun yet, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, okay. for me, it hasn't, yeah, right? I see. I'm going to rewatch the whole Yeah, because we've been conservatively return. trying not to go down any rabbit holes, and we've been really trying to analyze things as they happen and stay current. Yeah, I mean, I've been approaching it. I like reading the theory and things like that mm -hmm. I just have this this hesitance on my own part you know I go oh that's interesting maybe but I want to really just let's focus on the text first yeah, right like exactly I'm waiting for more information so I'm constantly looking at I, I want all of the little things that's my favorite stuff if I can find that stuff online when there's like little things I didn't notice yeah like that Sarah Palmer's face thing yeah I didn't notice it when I watched right it happens you know? very quick so yeah. I love the fact that the internet's out there thank you uh, welcome to Twin Peaks Forum and everything for like finding this shit yeah I agree <laughs> and I hear like, about great. a lot of that stuff through you yeah. and I, I think it's great getting the other perspective on it and there's mm. you know thousands of eyes watching this thing not everybody's going to pick up every detail yeah just a uh, last-minute note on seeing Sarah Palmer's face there. Yeah. There was some flashing of several 
maybe not several faces, oh, yeah. but Some I thought maybe thought, there's other faces in there as you, well. Did you think you see uh, David Bowie? I thought maybe I saw David Bowie's face. A lot face. of people thought And they I did a little side-by-side, side, and yeah. I really think Bowie and Grace Zabriskie mm-hmm. really have similar features when yeah, it comes to the, the eyes. Problem. It's so hard to tell, but that, you usually would get the like dilated pupil with Bowie, which does not seem to be there, but right. I don't know. But again, it happened so quickly, and there's a color temp change yeah, and some other things happening. But multiple faces. Just I to mean, leave that open, It really yeah. does go so quickly. If anyone listening hasn't seen this and you go back to watch, you need to be prepared to go like frame by frame really, really quick. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah.